the Forged and Unbroken podcast. Okay, we were just <clears throat> we were just talking about football and mm-hmm. how the coach actually said that you could date his daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it was coming from a place. We were talking about fear. Yeah. So start there. We yeah. came and came from it was about fear. Yeah, it's a good one. Um yeah, so you know, high school football player, you know, easily the the tenth or twelfth best uh, tight end in the county. <laughs> <laughs> second string all the way uh special teams guru no um basically yeah the the, the sort of the fear of failure the the wanting to you know wanting to you know try to find your place um i feel like on the athletics especially contact sports it's like very highlighted Mm -hmm. and so um yeah i remember we were doing some drill that involved hitting each other and he's like you know nate you're you're a nice kid man uh, if i if i had a daughter i'd let you date <laughs> and i'm like oh man the worst thing ever <laughs> last thing anybody ever wants to um and so yeah there was like a element of shame to that i felt mm-hmm. like um you know you hear things like nice guys finish last and stuff like yeah. that and you're like so you know why you know why am I not, where's that mean streak that I'm supposed to have? And, uh, and it doesn't mean I don't have one, by the way. It just means that, like, it means that I think I was so wrapped up in, I was so worried about failing or doing the wrong thing on any given play. It was such a yeah. distraction. And it was so, um, and it and it held me back, really. And that was just, that's a fight, that's a battle I've had in my entire life, mm-hmm. is to get out of my head. Because um, when you, as another thing you learn in, in, in football, if you play scared, you get hurt. Yeah. It's just a law. You know what I, I mean? Just, well, I think it's a good way. It, just for life, I just think about what yeah. we do. Yeah. You, yeah, you play scared. Yeah. That can manifest itself on the fire ground. 100%. You start, you know, climbing ladders and <clears throat> doing dangerous things. And uh, if you're if you're worried about getting hurt, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. You know? So you have to – it's not about arrogance. It's not about um, – <clears throat> it's not about uh, – what I, we always say on, on my shift is, at least I try to impress upon people, is that there's a difference between – aggression and recklessness yeah aggression is great we should be aggressive and aggressive just means you're going to kind of attack what you're doing you're going to you're going to go hard yeah um but recklessness is we're not thinking mm-hmm. you know i mean we're not making good decisions we're just doing whatever because it felt like a good idea at the time and so that's not what we're after yeah um so kind of learning that aggressive isn't a bad word mm-hmm. if it's defined correctly yeah 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 and uh, taking that approach uh, really to anything, you know what I mean? Uh, just like you said, in life in general, you know, things don't just float towards us, you know what I mean? We have to, you have to kind of attack your goals and attack what you want to get done. So, um, yeah, that's just been a constant battle, you know yeah. what I mean? Just uh, trying not to, and I, and I felt it um, in the fire academy. I know there were days where I was playing scared. Yeah. And it bit me, you know what I mean? I'm getting yelled at, like, because you look lazy. Sure. You, you look like you're not trying very hard because you're being so timid there's some avoidance yeah and so you look like what's this what's this guy here what's he all about so you learn pretty quickly you need to uh you just gotta whether it's you know you know pulling the hand line or throwing a ladder whatever you're doing you gotta get after it this i'm already going hard in the paint here with this one (laughs) what he kind of tossed it up what is the where do you think this is more so for the men probably where do you think that shame comes from because i think a lot of men have that oh yeah um and it can manifest manifest itself as fear 
mm-hmm. or the reckless side of aggression or peacocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's timidness. There's just so many different manifestations of it. Where do you think that shame is coming from? Because I think it's a much more rampant issue than we give it credit for. Yeah, I agree. Um, if we were to really zoom out and go really big picture, um, we can't ignore our context. So we have to look at our, where we live culturally. Yeah. So we live in a society that's um, geared towards comfort. Um, sort of everything around us is geared to make you as comfortable as possible, as mm-hmm. often as possible. And then you go into a job like ours where um, you, you voluntarily, I, I always talk about like the bubble, right? In order for society to live in that bubble, someone has to form the bubble. And yeah, so okay, your military, yeah. your first responders, that, that's sort of the outer edge of the bubble. So you're, you're doing a, at least a tour of duty on the uncomfortable side yeah. to maintain that. So um, with that being said, there's not always a lot of opportunities for people to, um, to do hard things mm. and to do unpleasant, experience unpleasant things. Things like being, if you've ever slept outside when it's raining, if you've ever been cold, if you've ever had simple things, yeah, wet, wet socks while you're trying to walk around, you know, all these little <laughs> things that they seem like nothing. But, um, if, if you just kind of like go with the flow in life, this is a very comfortable place to live. And yeah. so I think a lot of it is intrinsic. It's, it's people for me, at least, especially a lot of what I've done as an adult has uh, the, the root driver was like can I do hard things? Can I do difficult yeah. things? I, I, I had amazing parents, great family. I grew up, you know, in, in the, in the suburbs and good education and so much to be thankful for. And I'm endlessly thankful for it. I wouldn't change it. Um, but you want to know like, well, could I have cut it in tougher mm-hmm. circumstances? Could <laughs> right. I, would, would I have survived, yeah. um, in harder circumstances? And I think that's where it's, it's on you as the individual to go start testing yourself. Yeah. So a lot of what I did, um, and my journey has been about just trying to see like, what am I made of? Yeah, I, no, I, I really like that. Um, let's talk about that upbringing. Cause you, mm-hmm. when I think of uh, a Nathaniel Martin, I think of <laughs> a, a, a man who has dedicated so much of his life to not just service, but multiple layers of service. Mm-hmm. So bring us up to speed on that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge uh, where I'm at generationally. So I was one of the older kids that saw 9-11 on TV was in high school. And so for weeks afterwards, all you saw was, you know, firefighters and soldiers on TV and police officers, of course. Um, And so the whole definition of a hero in my mind started shifting from essentially like comic book characters, movie star, (laughs) action movies, and started shifting over to here's these like real people doing real things. Because for you, that's, we're still late middle school, early high school. Mm -hmm. I was in ninth grade. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was an English class actually. I remember my English teacher crying when they were, because where I lived, um, I don't live terribly far from the Pentagon and I have a lot, had a lot of friends who, whose parents were, worked in or around the Pentagon. And so it was, it was people were legitimately wondering if their parents were okay, aunts, uncles, things like that. So very real, very, as just like anyone else in my generation, a watershed moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely remember, it sounds cheesy, but like, I want to be like those people. Yeah. You know, like, wow, like, and they're running towards the smoke and they're running to the, to the people. They're, they're, they're 
uh, mobilizing to go, you know, find the bad guys. It, he, I got, he's very swept up in it. I was a teenager. Oh yeah, for sure. Like what, you know, it's like, um, it's new territory for the country really. Yeah. So that, that I would say if there was like a watershed moment that really like opened a door to kind of the, the routes that would eventually go down. Um, and I can just jump into that. I'll give you the report oh, yeah. or not. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> really, really simply, um, I went to, got my four year degree in anthropology and sociology. Um, was really interested in people and culture mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, my whole life I wanted to be a veterinarian. Okay. And I was horrendous at math. I still am. <laughs> and um, uh, if you ever see a guy next to a pump panel counting on his fingers, that's me. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so I kind of like scared myself out of, uh, out of like going down the hard science route, yeah, even though yeah. I've always just had a huge thing for animals. but. So I did sociology, anthropology, clueless is what I wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of went down the law enforcement track, um, didn't get hired, like really okay. simply just applied. So it just, you know, would get through a process and then not get hired. And and I quickly felt like, man, I have a lot of education, but I don't have skills, I don't have experience. Like I need to get into the, into the world. So the short version of it is I ended up in, uh, in basic training, uh, infantry school, Fort Benning, Georgia. So, you know, army, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, was going to do ROTC and get a master's degree, but ended up just being kind of burned out on school. So I basically just started going to drill. So for six, you know, you do, you do six years of, of drilling and then two years <laughs> of IRR. So I'm in this infantry, infantry, but, but going through basic training and infantry school, uh, which infantry school is essentially like a extension of basic training. You don't, you yeah. don't go anywhere. You keep your same drill sergeants, you know, um, is this, and I'm asking for clarification cause mm-hmm. I'm terrible with, uh, the layers of the military. Sure. Were you reserves or are you like active four year? So this is all national guard, national guard, guard. Me, so okay. to, which is, you know, an element of the reserves, but, um, basically, uh, we, the way I went in, like I said, was through an ROTC battalion. So I was kind of like, they're like, well, if, if you're not going to come to ROTC with us, have one in the car. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, like I said, I was just, just, you know, young, still figuring it out, but getting through that experience, you yeah. know what I mean? You know, hot, cold, you know, get, being dirty, um, you know, get your cross rifles when you finish infantry school. That was like really meaningful to me because that was probably one of the first times I ever showed myself that I could do something yeah. Yeah. really difficult that I could get knocked down, get back up, you know, knock somebody else down if you had to. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, just like all of a sudden now you're like, it's it's like the iceberg effect. You're, you're like, there's what am I capable of? It starts with mm-hmm. what can I do? And, and then it turns into no, really. What can I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, What's next? That's the furthest I've ever run. That's the furthest I've ever marched. You know what yeah. I mean? And so now you're like the possibility is kind of opening up. Uh, so I came back and started. Uh, I had always kind of like thought about the paramedic route. I have a lot of nurses in my family, so the medical side kind of interested me. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not going to school anymore, and I'm in the guard. So I end up going to a paramedic um, open house for a, a paramedic program at a local community college. Mm-hmm. And just I'm talking to the instructors, and it comes out that I have a, f- a four-year degree already. And they said, well, you, "This is for a degree. You already have a degree. You should, you should go apply to a fire department and get them to send you to paramedic school." Oh, that's fine. And I'm like, fire department, like the, the red trucks and the helmets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I knew nothing. Zero exposure. Knew nothing. Yeah. And um, 
So yeah, go check it out. So um, end up you know applying to a couple of places. Um, I, I was obviously yeah, I was hired, um, and so uh, did not end up going down the paramedic route. Mm-hmm. Um, always wondered about you know would have liked to have the skill sets and the knowledge, but I think just the way I came out of the academy where it went, I had an opportunity to to try out the, you know the the special ops type stuff, and so yeah. kind of just interest kind of took over from there. Yeah, but yeah, so I ended up bumbling and stumbling my way into yeah. you know what i mean into the best job in the world <laughs> it's like a massive blessing and i'm like i wouldn't have had it any other way but i couldn't have told you what was going on until i was like halfway through the academy yeah, you right, know what i right. mean because you're just so you're just desperate you know you, you gotta yeah. get a job you gotta you know i was at that and i went into the academy i had a um my son was like six months old when i started the academy my wife was oh wow okay. ready to she she was we're like at her due date and we were doing the CPAT. She came with me to the CPAT oh, and no sat kidding. in the truck because we're like on standby to have this baby. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So imagine having that while you're doing the CPAT. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea you were that. It was that timed. Oh yeah. With your kid, yeah. Oh yeah, and um, so like yeah, you talk about like, and again, that's another great great fact right there. Like when I was going through the academy, it wasn't about can I do this. It was I have to do this. Yeah. You have a right. wife, I have a kid, like I got to get something going here. Right. So it's a whole different style of motivation, yeah. um, which is really beautiful. You know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have, again, I wouldn't have had that any other way. Yeah. You know, you get that built in, you go home and you're looking at them. You're like, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. There's no question there. You have a sense of purpose. hundred percent. Yeah. So I would fall asleep with my little EMT textbook in one hand and my son <laughs> in the other <laughs> arm. And I would literally fall asleep like that every night. And, um, yeah, that, but it was, like I said, in, in a lot of ways, it was beautiful. You know, yeah. I, was, I was growing up. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The Did you come, I can't remember, did you come right out to an SO house? I did, yeah. yeah. I came out to, actually, I came out of the academy to a, a tower company. Yeah. And um, they were a satellite SO company. So at the time, just with the way staffing was, um, they, they basically said, um, when I got probably most of my rookie year done, I think, if I got that right, um, they basically look, if you want to take these classes, we'll let you take them. You know, normally we would rather you take these a little later, but yeah. um, the particular chief said, you know, I'm okay with it. I'll sign off on it. Since you're here, he basically said, do you want to be here? I said, yeah, I, I was starting to make friends with this shift and I had an incredible mentor who you know very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, he was one of mine. He, he's like, he was like a, the big brother you, you would always want it, you yeah. know what I mean? And so, kind of all along the way he's like giving me the nod he's like yeah yeah you know try it out check it out you know so i was like why not yeah you know cool. and so i started so i took the classes got the got on the so team and that kind of allowed me to stay where i was as a young guy on a special service yeah look you got to be really aggressive again going back to that word if you're mm-hmm. going to do that because uh the engine is sort of where most people start their career for in sure. fire and so that was definitely something i had to be very careful about not neglecting um and i'm sure we'll get to it when we flash forward to mm-hmm. my first uh first uh assignment as an officer was to an engine is to an engine company you know yeah. I'm, I'm on an engine company now so you know trying to balance the two you know i mean for sure i didn't want to i didn't want to come out to an engine company and have no idea what i was doing because i'd been on a right a truck all the time and yeah. so you know but I was very fortunate, very privileged that I got to see both sides of the house right from the beginning. Yeah. And at that house, I mean, engine, tower, battalion, mm-hmm. multiple ambos. Yeah. Let's start with some of the easy side of the fire service uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. We'll say like you, 
it's a busy house mm-hmm. and you can very easily get wrapped up in the I guess that's the best way to say it. you can get burnt out there easily um, yeah. there's a lot of different personalities there and we were kind of joking earlier that that was all you knew coming into the fire service mm-hmm. so there was a little bit of stockholm syndrome yeah of oh this is all i know like okay this is what this is the way it is it's normal this is normal to have yeah. like all this craziness um now that you've had the opportunity to zoom out how how does that affect the mind state of people at a busy house like that yeah i think um so you're going to have to make a conscious decision uh of what your mindset is going to be and i know that Mm -hmm. sounds really counterintuitive because most of us kind of let the day run us you have to run your day you gotta have a plan (laughs) um if you think you're just going to roll in and i'm sure any firefighter would echo this from any fire station Mm -hmm. if you think you're just going to run in or roll in and uh, just see what happens bad idea yeah yeah <laughs> no plan is the worst plan yeah so i think yes the day is gonna the, you can't control the calls mm-hmm. but you can um one thing i definitely learned uh from great officers is that you know you can certainly you can train you can you can pt you can even to me even just like planning dinner to me there's like something therapeutic about like mm-hmm. what are we having for dinner tonight and everyone kind of like bounces ideas and right um so yeah you for for a the busier houses especially though you're going to have to make a conscious decision to go to embrace the good mm-hmm. you know what i mean oh sorry to enjoy the good to embrace the not so good um but you 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 have to um consciously do it you have to say okay there's things i love here there's things that i wish i could change there's things that i can't change it's that finding that balance you know what i mean and then really when you find something you can make better which in my opinion is almost always going to be the people around you. Yeah. You know, there's just not a lot you can do about your, you know, your first do and, and the way firehouses and fire trucks get built. I mean, we can all throw our opinions out there and everyone's got a counter opinion, but there's really nothing stopping you from looking at the person next to you and being like, what can I offer them? Yeah. What can I offer these people? And so, and if, I think if you start there, a lot of the other stuff fades in the background noise. Yeah. And you uh, know that. I love that. I think that's the essence of, um, leadership and i mean that on so many levels i don't mean that to to use like a buzzword here it doesn't matter if you're a recruit or you're the 30-year salty battalion Mm -hmm. to focus on the people side of things and the human element Mm -hmm. you can make your shift stronger you can make your days better and i think you're right so many people are so quick to come in with like the chip on their shoulder or they have an attitude of like, this is happening to me mm-hmm. or there's that saying embrace the suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's some value to it, but when you really think of it as like a negative, you can think of it in two different ways, positive or negative. And when you embrace the negative side of it, it's just this like inner ugliness and yeah. then it starts spreading. And mm-hmm. we all know those people that become cancers for yeah. the shift. And it spreads and you bring down the whole vibe and energy of the, of a group of people that you got to lean on really hard in bad situations. Yeah. It's, they, they're going to be, this is kind of how I, how I feel about it. They're going to be your family regardless. Cause you're going to spend a third of your life with them. How functional that family is. Yeah. This is the question, <laughs> but they're going to be your family. Yeah. Right, maybe a, right. maybe a very dysfunctional, <laughs> unhappy family, yeah. but there you guys are every third day together. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think that um, you look at everything around you, um, it's all temporal. You know, firehouses get remodeled, rebuilt, fire trucks get replaced, mm -hmm. gear gets replaced. Um, there's things that we think are silly now that'll be standard practice later. You'll yeah. see, that's, that's, the, that's the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things that we're saying, we'll never do this again and 20 years later, they'll come back around, you know what I mean? Science right, has yeah. a way of catching up here and there. So, <laughs> but the, but, and we'll probably get into this later in this podcast, but you know, when you look at what's eternal, like what's, what is going to be around forever. And that's, that's, you know, the human soul is what's going to be around forever. So when I look at, when I look at the people and the relationships, that's what will remain. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot of retired firefighters. I always try to chat up the folks that come back because um, I appreciate them so much for doing it, for coming back and caring about the people that are still in the job. I don't hear a whole lot about like what the firehouse structure was like, or what the fire trucks were like. You will hear all about the relationships. That's what sticks. The names, yeah. the people. Yeah. Oh, this, you should have met this guy. Oh, you should have seen this girl. Like it was so crazy. And that's like, I try to take, I try to, I try to take note of that and go, okay, yeah. well, if these guys are, they did 30 years, now they're 10 years out of that. And all they're thinking about is the people. There must be something to that. Yeah, that's huge. There must be something to that. So like cliche, I know, but people first. Yeah. People first, always. Always. Because ultimately that's all that matters. It's, it's, it's the people next to you. It's the people you work for. It's, it's, it's the public. You mm -hmm. took the oath to serve. I mean, that is, if, if you put that first, like I said, a lot of the other stuff will, will almost prioritize itself because it yeah. will start to fade. The things that, you, we can work around this. We can work around that. It's we, just noise. We can't give an inch on taking care of Mrs. Smith, though. Yeah. We cannot give an inch. We yeah. have got, when she calls 911, we have got to show up for her. Yeah. And so um, I feel like if that's if that's how we we pursue the job, things will start to kind of align themselves. You, you need that North Star. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the noise of um, things outside of operations, like you said, the trucks and the logistics of things and the uniforms or the, the hot topic training thing mm -hmm. of the day. The, um, but when you bring it back to the people and if when you support operations, which you're really just supporting the people, and then you go out in the community because that's why we're here mm -hmm. when you focus on that mission. And as you said really well, like that, that is the North star, all that other noise be becomes secondary mm -hmm. and we get so wrapped up so quickly yeah. on all the things that are not yeah. people, mission, community driven. Um, it can be very distracting, but yeah. it's so, it, but it's such a simple thing is to refocus on that very simple mission of service. Exactly. And speaking of service, I know we were kind of bouncing a little bit. There's this whole other leg of your life that, <laughs> I mean, is service oriented, right? So talk on that real quick. Yeah. Um, so uh, if my if my other story wasn't, uh, if I wasn't meandering enough through life, <laughs> then there's this whole ministry thing that, that shows up on the scene. Um, I would say, you know, my wife, amongst many things, uh, for many reasons, is, is my greatest blessing. Um, but one of the things I, when I started dating her, is she sang at her church, and I hadn't been to church in a long time. Um, and I would go to basically watch her sing at church. You know, like, you know, what I mean? because <laughs> you were hot to trot for the choir girl, man. <laughs> yeah, I was pressed. You know, what I mean, I was like, I would, I'd go anywhere for this girl. I can go into this church and watch her sing. And so, um, you know, and I start 
hearing and like I don't want to take it all all the way down my personal faith journey, but bottom line is um, it was a Christian church, and so I, I go in there and I hear the Christian faith being taught really clearly and concisely, and uh, it impacted me. Mm-hmm. Flash forward a couple years, um, you know, I'd been through some some ups and downs, and um, you know, our department had one of its worst moments in its history, and so I saw I started seeing this like massive need around me. Yeah, but it expanded beyond just the fire service. Just in general, there's just like a need, yeah. um, and so I kind of started pursuing that, and I immediately just sought out mentors. Immediately sought out people who could um, give me guidance. And um, to make a very long story short, I end up talking to uh, a pastor who he's really his full time gig because he's a he's a um, a jail chaplain, mm-hmm. correctional chaplain, I should say. And um, and you know, I said, well, what about schooling and education and training and he said nate you'll, you'll cut down more trees with a sharp axe and uh i was like okay and so uh i call uh, liberty university and they got it online and you give mm-hmm. them one call and the next day they're like let's get you signed <laughs> you know, I, mean, they, I mean they were great yeah. so i ended up getting a master of divinity which is like a 75 credit to 90 credit depending on if you do thesis and stuff like that so um and i just i just went all in on that um it was like a three-year program but i did it in two because i took classes over the summer okay that overlaps basically yeah because i'm I'm looking at you know i'm like i'm either doing this or i'm not i gotta be serious about this um so i went all in hard in the paint as you would say yeah yeah. (laughs) and uh incredible experience and um and so far from that i ended up doing an internship in a jail um and then i went ended up going back as a part-time chaplain for them um, and it was again incredible experience. Loved every minute of it. Really, there's no ministry that I haven't enjoyed. Um, I love it all. And so I know there's this there's this part of me that that feels a need to to serve people in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like right now. I'm just very much praying and seeking out mentors and and leaders who can help me find what that's going to mean for me in the future. Yeah. Whether it's you know a first responder chaplain or um, just just helping out where I am. Yeah. It might not be something formal. And in fact, it hasn't really been something formal most of the time. But I'm kind of, the good thing about having that, the, the training under my belt is that I can I can also kind of occupy the formal roles too. Yeah. I have the quote unquote credentials. Yeah, or oh, you though, can back it up. But you and I both know that like, degrees are degrees, skills, <laughs> skills are skills, you know, yeah. real world applicability and ability are, so, you know, that's very much, uh, that's more, to be seen than anything else, you know, yeah. how that's actually gonna play out. But at the same time, there's opportunities to minister every day all around you. Yeah, well, with those opportunities, you mentioned you know, our department has um, struggled because of a line of duty death. Mm-hmm. We have, um, and just giving outside of that, we have before, after, <clears throat> it's it's the fire service, right? Mm-hmm. We, we see people in their worst possible moments. Yep. We, um, have everything from the uh, dead dealing with dead children to the shootings and the stabbings mm-hmm. and to hospice patients that are expecting it. But then there's also maybe a more personal side of maybe there's substance abuse, um, marital, marital uh, issues oh, yeah. within the, the service. There are so many layers to this. Yeah. Um, I think just recently I heard like loneliness is considered part of the mental health epidemic now. So when you're yeah. saying that there are opportunities for service, 
the opportunities are pretty boundless and it's yeah. coming from a pretty um what's that for lack of a better word just a negative space how do we even just start to unpack that there's so many layers to it like yes we can talk about suicide or mental health or substance mm-hmm. abuse or interrelationships since you've been in I'll, I'll say like two hatting like you've got your chaplaincy side but then there's also the uh, just you being on the floor as a firefighter mm-hmm. what are the common things that you are seeing that people are struggling with that you help connect with yeah that's that's a great question I think first and foremost um, uh, when you go when you get past the firehouse and the fire truck and the turnout gear we're people yeah um, we're not we're a subset of the population in some senses but um, we're not we're not we're vulnerable to everything that all the other people are vulnerable to sure you hope that we have a little bit of you know resiliency mixed in and maybe we develop an extra layer of resiliency but you could also say that a lot of it is just um it's less resiliency and it's more cynicism <laughs> detachment <laughs> sure. you know yeah, and yeah. that's not good either no um you might last a little longer in the career but it's it doesn't mean you're you're definitely not thriving you're definitely yeah. not um you're definitely not uh being getting to the point where you're bringing the most that you can to your shift so the biggest thing is remember that yeah we're people first so um so you're dealing with a person um not just a subordinate not just a a recruit not just a senior man whatever titles we've placed on ourselves that person has a story Mm -hmm. uh they have a life outside of the firehouse with its own ups and downs they have their own struggles their own weaknesses and strengths and so that would be my first thing to, it would be to remember that, you know, okay, I'm dealing with a person here. Yeah. Yes. Let's say they've made a mistake. Okay. Well, people do that. Mm -hmm. They make mistakes. So let's figure out, um, because the, if our true highest pursuit is, is, is wellness, you know what I mean? Is, is for strong, resilient people who can go out and perform really well on calls, then we kind of have to start at the bottom. And that's the hard answer. That's the hard road. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, we can put out trainings and we can we can check boxes all day, but if we're not caring for people, mm-hmm. you know, caring for each other, the wheels are gonna fall off immediately. So I think that's where we start. We start by realizing that, hey, we're people and we're and we're vulnerable to all the same things everybody else is. And then you kind of work out from there. Yeah. You know, because there is a higher standard we have to to we just do when you wear uniforms and badges and stuff like that the understanding is that you know you you take an oath and the public is saying we're going to give you certain allowances and privileges you know Mm -hmm. what i mean to come into our homes and to and to enter our lives in in our worst moments uh and it's a position of trust is they call that for a reason so you know to get to to keep ourselves in a position where we can honor that yeah you know what i mean we have to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and each other and so that starts with um before we talk about you know being employees and being like i said being uh even even shift mates like where where are you on our shift it's where are you as a person yeah and then space because then, then we can go from point a to point b mm-hmm. i'm not saying give up the other stuff i'm just saying like start at the beginning yeah you know yeah there's uh a lot of di- different iterations of this and i just worked with a one of uh some friends and teammates and colleagues uh doing 
like the four drill so family occupation recreation Mm -hmm. and dreams and we kind of went around and as soon as i knew we were doing that i'm like this is going to get deep (laughs) (laughs) you very quickly when you split things down into those four groups you can very quickly get more than just a sneak peek into that person's life Mm -hmm. and where their mindset comes from and then you create more understanding Right, and not saying you have to use the Ford model, but something as simple as you know, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm good. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. How are you really doing? Like, what's going on at home? How are things? And right. you can't just do that right out the gate. But when you establish some cursory level of trust, mm-hmm. and then you start to peel the layers back, maybe you hear about a story, you hear about some childhood stuff, mm-hmm. you hear about maybe some struggles going on at home. One, you're going to establish a little bit more trust between the two of you, but you create that understanding of like, oh, they act this way, or maybe they handle issues this way because of this thing that's going on. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a healthy manifestation or it's not healthy, uh, yeah, you're just creating that understanding. I think so, and I think this is where um, it's it's key to understand the difference between um, sympathy and empathy. Mm, yeah. Um, sympathy is, you know, at a distance, like I feel bad for you. Um, you don't always have to like, there's some, sometimes you don't feel bad for, um, it's not as important about, you know, feeling bad for someone as it is just seeing it from their perspective. So, you know, sympathy is, has its purpose and mm-hmm. has its, has its use, but there's times where we don't feel sympathetic to someone because of something they've done. Maybe they have done something terrible, but empathy isn't sympathy. Empathy means I'm I'm viewing the situation from your perspective so, yeah. so I can better communicate with you through it, so yeah. I can learn from what you've done, so everyone can learn from what you've done, so you can learn. Um, and so that that's all it is, is being able to see things from someone else's perspective. So even doing those, like the, like the, <clears throat> the drill you're just talking about, that's a perfect example of like, well, now that I know more about you, I can look at whatever problems in front of us from your angle and start thinking, okay, well, how's he think, how's he thinking about this? How does his mind work? What, what's distracting him right now? And then that just puts me in a position to help you get again from point A to point B. It, it changes the conversation entirely. I, yeah. I knew that was one of my things cause I would detach and avoid mm-hmm. and I would definitely go harder on sympathy. Like, well, yeah, that really does suck. Um, so how do we fix that yeah. <laughs> when that was not the thing that that person needed, especially even with my own relationship with my wife? Sure. That is not what she needed. Right. And that would make things so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> and, until, and it can be, it's definitely a, a learned skill. Yeah. Um, I had to learn how to empathize. Yeah. And I do. Yeah. There, I think maybe, maybe I'm making too much of a, an assumption here. I don't know if the fire service does the greatest job with empathy. Mm-hmm. I think there are people that do a really good job, you being one of them, but I don't think that's our first off the cuff trait necessarily. Maybe there's some compassion there and I think that's another layer of it. Right. Yeah. And then there's, then you can get compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I think we are sympathetic and that's part of what we do. Like, yes, we have to be sympathetic to what's going on. And then we're like, all right, cool. So how do we fix this? I need to stop crying. How do we fix it? Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally valid. Uh, very well said. I think, um, so I think I'm glad you brought up compassion fatigue because 
um, whether it's sympathy or empathy, you're, you're finite. Yeah. There's only so much of you. Mm-hmm. You may come to a point where you're not able to empathize right now in this particular moment. Yeah. It's okay to say like, I don't have this in me right now. I don't, you know, I don't, yeah. I need a minute. I need a walk. I need a glass of water, like whatever you need to do to kind of recharge the battery a little bit. What, yeah, I want to be clear. What I'm not saying is that you should be a hundred percent empathetic all the time because yeah. you, you couldn't, if you want, it's good to want to, that's noble, mm-hmm. but you can't, yeah. you're going to want to run out of gas. Cause remember, you know, you have, there's a, there's some, you're given to your wife, you're given to your kids, you're given to your job. If you're a leader, each person on your shift gets a piece. There's only so much of you. You're pouring from that cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're starting to pour from an empty cup. So you might have times where you have to be like, man, I'm not, this is not the right time for this conversation because I don't have the, the gas in the tank to get through it. Um, but I wanna, can we pause on this? Can we come back to it? Yeah. You know, and just admitting that. Um, because from there, you can realize, that person now can see, oh, yeah, I guess he is finite. I guess that is fair for Nate to say that. that yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I guess yeah. he is just one dude trying his best. <laughs> so then we all start to kind of see each other that way. Again, we're not talking about giving people a free a free pass. We're not talking about giving people, um, everyone talks about, you know, the, the feelings generation and coddling people. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is it's just that simple form of like, I can see why that's difficult for you. I can see mm-hmm. why that would be difficult. I can see why that would be hard. Yeah. Um, and then you said, there'll come a time where you might be able to do something to help, but sometimes just the listening is, yeah. is, is therapeutic in itself. And when people feel heard and understood, a lot of that frustration comes from like, no, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm, I'm not just one of these people that has this problem. It's, yeah. My problem is different because of X, Y. Of course it is. Yeah. Because you have a completely different set of variables in your life. So just being seen and heard. Um, and I don't know I don't know a single person in any generation who doesn't have that need. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. you know, I, whether you're six or 60, you have, you have an innate need to be seen and heard and understood by the people around you, and yeah. especially the people you care about. So that is like a massive, massive service you can do for the people around you. Um, it takes. It is a learned skill, mm-hmm. and the key skill behind it is is listening. Listening, listening. And it's not. And the other extreme of it is you're not. Maybe to a smaller degree or smaller extent, you can. I don't want to say you take on the feelings. That's when it gets maybe to a negative space. Yeah. Is when you empathize so hard yes. that you take on some of their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a little element of that is okay, but yeah. then when you, but it it will have diminishing returns the deeper you get into that state. Right. Yeah, I desperately don't want to butcher this example, but it's in a, in a great book I read. Uh, hopefully I get it right. But the bottom line is the person feeling the feeling is like out on, a, on the end of a very long branch at a very high tree. Yeah. Now, if you're on the ground calling up to them, that's really frustrating. It's okay. You're going to be fine. Oh, easy for you to say you're, you're on, the, on ground. the ground. <laughs> right. um, so kind of, it's not necessarily taking on their emotions, but maybe you can kind of climb up the tree a little bit. Maybe you could stay on near the trunk of the tree, but kind of get near to their height and say, wow, it is really high up here. It would really stink to fall out of this tree. This It is kind of scary up here. You're right. Yeah. And then maybe you can kind of coax them back towards the tree. And I don't want to butcher it any more than I just did. But yeah, there's a way to say, because um, if, we, if we're totally emotionally flat, then we'll 
will feel they'll the person's naturally going to feel like you, you don't get it you, you have you, to be you, genuine you don't understand you have yeah. to be genuine but you can say i mean yeah that 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 would be awful i'm thinking i'm thinking of my own life and i think if that happened to me that would like crush me saying yeah. things like that just just to kind of let them know that you're not weird for yeah oh you do get it yeah yeah, yeah. you do get it um and and maybe you've been through the same thing and you can without going into your story and making it about you you can still say you know i i feel like i've because remember i haven't felt your feelings i've only felt my feelings yeah right so you, different but you could say like i know when i've been had this issue in the past that, you know here's some things you know that that i experienced remember we're not getting to the whole fixing it part yet we're just saying yeah, like yeah. i so the, every situation is gonna be so different no one's asking you to be a a, a trained therapist or anything like that mm -hmm. it's just like hey i acknowledge that this is an upsetting situation and i would be upset too if i were in it and i'm here yeah you know i'm here like i'm just gonna sit next to you in it yep so you don't have to sit by yourself in it yeah and then you just let me know <laughs> <laughs> right. in the book that we uh we're talking about um like i said i, I just started it but and the body keeps a score the uh the author, you know, the therapist was talking about how he was sitting with World War II veterans. So we're talking decades, generations mm -hmm. past the originating trauma of what they went yeah. through. And of course, there's a ton of resistance starting out. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as they start talking one to each other and realizing they have this shared struggle and connection. Mm -hmm. And then once uh, the guy is just like, I am so sorry for what you experienced and went through. I couldn't imagine. And then they start realizing like, Oh, this guy's like mm -hmm. listening to us. And then over the course of a few couple weeks, like healing starts because like, no, this guy's allowing us the opportunity. He's truly listening to us. And you see decades worth of trauma start to, yeah. Like that pressure start to relieve itself. Absolutely. Um, just because of creating a, like comfortable environment like oh no this guy like genuinely cares yeah and if that can happen for a world war ii veteran literally yeah. generations later right then that's something that we can so simply do around the kitchen table when one of our people is having mm -hmm. a hard time and we want to relate so it's very normal and very natural to want to try to take their struggle and compare it to something you've been through in a well-intended attempt yeah, to yeah. say i get it yeah that's a great example of where if you haven't if you're not a combat veteran, you're going, I have no idea what that's like. <clears throat> I have no idea. Um, that, that must have been so difficult, you know? It must have been so crazy to go through that and and almost to show them like, yeah, I admit, I, I don't, I haven't experienced what you're going through, but again, it's like, but I'm willing to sit here and, and just be with you in the moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. While, while you're sorting through it and whatever, whatever, help i can provide however i can be here for you you know and i'm willing to do that so you won't be as you know it's there's kind of nothing compares to seeing an old battle buddy who you went through it with yeah. that's a, that's a different sort of level yeah, of therapeutic sure. conversation um therapeutic in the you know not in the official sense but that's a different level of comfort but certainly you can um I can tell you, like, this is what ministers, pastors do. I mean, they, you know, they haven't been through everything everyone in their congregation's been through. Right. But they know how to, they know how to attend to people's souls. They know how to care for people's souls. 
and that is something that that anyone can do one thing i before you i don't want to breeze by it um mm-hmm. i do want to like one disclaimer is all of these things are learned skills and all of them feel awkward at first would you agree oh yeah that's yeah 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 you know like i, I appreciate you saying that that first quote unquote good conversation you have with your wife yeah like, <laughs> honey I feel, <laughs> and it just feels so canned and so fake and so like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. But man, if you stick with it, if you keep doing it, the, it becomes more natural. The, it becomes real. It yeah. becomes authentic, and um, because the proof's in the pudding. Like when it when it starts working, and it starts, you start seeing the benefits of it and the fruits of it. You're like, no shit. Yeah. You're like, you're like oh my goodness, like. This, we can talk to each other without we, we can we can discuss and not fight about this you know what yeah, i mean yeah but in the beginning it's going to feel like very very um awkward and maybe that's and now i'm just now i'm just throwing it out there maybe that's because it has to become authentic over time yeah because it's not this we're, we're now getting into things that aren't natural to us for sure that aren't in our human nature yeah. to want to take care of each other on this level necessarily so yeah, I think so. For the people that are listening to this and going like, "This is going to get awkward." Yeah, yeah, it's going it to get definitely really is. It definitely it is. Get, and I think to some degree, it actually gets worse before oh, yeah. it can get better. Sometimes that's another thing I've experienced when you start to learn these new skills, or now you're just creating the environment to really yeah. peel back and have harder conversations. Things get mm-hmm. worse. Oh yeah, before it, they get absolutely. Better. You it have to. It's not an always upward trend. Yeah, because you're now. Because in the when you're pursuing vulnerability, you're now you're dropping the shield. Yeah. You're dropping the armor. Yeah. So everything hurts more when you're not wearing armor. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> so the those those um those hits that you've been taking with a shield up in front of you now you're just they're just landing on you. Yeah. And you're learning to you know accept those in a different way, and so it's gonna it's it's a lot of work on the front end, but the the benefit is. I mean, I can't even put it into words, you know, the, yeah, sure. the way a relationship will deepen and the way the, the relationship will strengthen, um, from the inside out, yeah. it, it, it's incredible. Um, and I wouldn't say it if I hadn't experienced it myself, Yeah, same. just in my own, in my own journey in my own, just learning how to listen. I think, yeah. and I was a great listener learning about listening and quickly realizing I was average at best. Yeah. Maybe a little below. I always tell people before I read the the one book I read on listening in in uh, seminary, I would have called myself like an A minus B plus listener. Uh-huh. After I read the book, I was like, I'm D minus. Oh wow. D minus listener. There's so much more to it than because just... of what's going on in my head while I'm listening. I'm like, I'm not listening. Yeah. I'm preparing a response. So I really yeah. had to learn and let me tell you and I, a shamelessly experiment like I was like I want to try these listening skills on people and I just yeah. went around in my life and started listening to people and I'm going like the the depth of the conversations and the 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 way the relationships improved I'm going like I would I would I'll never do it a different way yeah. you know and I'm not saying I listen perfectly all the time I'm just saying that once you see the light in that regard and you realize like when when you make people feel heard and feel understood your ability to to serve them goes changes drastically and whether it's the people in your personal life mm-hmm. the your your colleagues on the shift or just the person you're helping in the home during the worst moments yeah that's a game changer yeah because now quite frankly now you can actually communicate yeah you're not just you're not yeah. just another voice in the room you're yeah. not just more noise you're actually communicating 
and you're actually helping to improve a situation. Yeah. It's all dirty work, man. Yeah. It's all difficult. (laughs) Without breaking a sweat, it's freaking hard. It's difficult. And it's, like I said, um, uh, one of your past podcasts um, talked about, you you and your guests were talking about, you know, sort of resting and, you know, um, uh, she was a a trained therapist. I'm not going to try to recall her name and get it wrong. Destiny Morris. Yeah. She's great. It was an amazing podcast. But, yeah, like, figure out what you need to do to recharge. Yeah. You can't do this stuff all the time, every time, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And your best bet to be able to do it is to find find the places and spaces you need uh, to to recover, yeah. you know? You can't help everyone all the time. And I know every firefighter cringes at that idea that mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't fix every problem, I can't help every person <laughs> every time. It's the worst yeah. feeling in the world, but yep. the more we can embrace, and then we can start shifting into, okay, then who can I help? Yeah. If I can't help everyone, I can help someone. So. And that's all really, I think we can't lose sight of that. Sometimes we, we try to do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. Yeah. And that's awesome. Sometimes it's just about influencing that one person though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because utilitarianism, which is, you know, do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. I mean, that's, that has its limits too, right? Yes. Because we can easily spin that into, again, burning ourselves out, you know? So it's more about... You know, from my perspective, it's more about who is in your orbit. Yeah. And let's just assume they're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who's in your orbit and, and what can you do for them? Um, they won't be in your orbit forever, you know? Yeah. That'll change. The, the, the people on your roster are going to change. So that's a, that's a, big, um, that's a big factor to, to think about, too. It's like, what can I do today? Yeah. You know, what, what am I capable of? What can I do today um, in a way that, preserves what I need to reserve for, you know, my wife, my kids, the other people in my life that need me. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're kind of always, it's, it's, a, it's like a budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have this much of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, I, and I think that is definitely a, a number one issue for, for firefighters. Sure. Is uh, we, we bounce checks when it, comes to, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to our ability to give to others of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we will bury ourselves mm. in the service of somebody else sometimes and and it feels noble it does it feels like well look what i'm willing to do but at the end of the day when you're when you're burned out and exhausted who are you helping yep so now you've gone to zero you know yeah i was going back to the communication being like a learned skill i remember thinking likening it to when i was going through some of my therapy stuff Mm -hmm. a lot of it was not necessarily job stuff it was relationship stuff I often on throughout my entire all for a lot of my life, adult life has been like I would learn try to learn a language. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking when you're learning, you know what you want to say, and in your head you have to translate it from, for example, English, and then mm-hmm. I translate it in my head to Spanish, and then I have to say it. Right. And learning empathy mm-hmm. or compassion or just listening. I was doing the exact same thing. Right. It felt so awkward. It didn't feel genuine at first. And I'm sure like my wife or my friend would pick up on that. Like, like when you were joking, like I feel like I was doing that. I was like, okay, this is what I would normally say, which was always horseshit and it would make things worse. All right. I need to translate it to say it this way Mm -hmm. to empathize with this other person and connect with them. All right. This is how I think I need to say it. And then I would actually have to say it. Right. And sometimes it links up. Sometimes it doesn't. But then 
just like learning a language over time, it becomes more natural. It becomes more second nature. It becomes more fluid. Yes. And that was, um, I remember that being utterly exhausting. Oh yeah. It was just to yeah. do that in my head. Yeah. To learn that skill was massively exhausting. Yeah. And it was very new. Um, but going fast forward into what you were saying, when you are able to connect with that one person and do that, it can be a game changer. It like is. with Andy and podcast too. Yes. He felt comfortable enough to open up to me in one of his worst moments. Mm-hmm. And we were super close friends, but he hadn't said anything before that. He had been struggling for weeks and months and I have had other people do that. I've had to do that with other people. Yeah. And, and in that moment, whether it's serendipity or, um, or there's some more divine intervention at yeah. play to not lose the opportunity in that moment and then to speak intelligently when that person is struggling, they opened up to you. How do I respond intelligently to that? Um, and I kind of want to start picking this apart because there is, there can be so much loneliness when you're going through mm-hmm. a hard time. There can be, uh, the flip side of that might be hypervigilance. I certainly played yes. that card. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm not somebody who's like, the helicopter parent or right where they call it the zebra or the the lion parent like, like yeah. you're just constantly managing everything for them just shadowing um, them all yeah day. helicopter yeah. stuff yeah, yeah like uh, yeah um i'm not certainly not that person but i'm i remember thinking like i've seen and witnessed all these things at work mm-hmm. how do i there's fear surrounding that happening to my family unit or my friends oh yeah, oh, yeah. and while I wouldn't like necessarily like I'm not padding walls or anything, but it's in my subconscious. Oh yeah. And playing that would just it was exhausting. It's um, yeah, it is. How do we so I just kinda of throw up two big ones. How do we define those things? Like if somebody's going through either like the loneliness side or the other side of it maybe being hypervigilance, there's so many right. layers to it. How do we identify that, oh that maybe that is happening to me? And then how do I course correct? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we are very much, and it seems like, and I'm out of my depth, you know, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like maybe we're formed more and more by our experiences than we thought, and maybe we're, yeah. um, we're impacted, and even, like, you know, the physical structures of the brain are impacted. For sure. Um, so, we can't over i don't think we can overestimate uh the impact of traumatic experiences and Mm -hmm. and those sort of um adverse moments in our lives so yeah as far as i I think there's a i think if you're at a point where let's say you're you're really struggling just to enjoy being a parent to use your to use your example because i'm the exact same way um bounced on trampolines my whole life and then uh, you heard about what can happen to people on trampolines and then your kids want a trampoline. It took me like two years to get the trampoline. <laughs> um, and I made sure there's a net around it and right. everything. Your kids are going to break their neck. And I never had a net around a trampoline a single day in my life. And we bounced right up to the edge of it all the time. And yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, there's a certain veil that gets ripped away when you when you become a first responder Mm -hmm. and and you tend to see things in worst case scenario because everyone calls you for their worst case scenario it's only natural yeah but i would say if in my humble lay opinion um if you're getting to the point where 
you're not able to find the joy in the experience where you're so distracted by what could happen after making the reasonable precautions you know we have our kids wear helmets when they ride their bikes that's that's not weird that's reasonable (laughs) yeah that's a good way to put it i like that but um that's but if you find yourself tying a rope to the bike so you can stop it (laughs) you know what i mean now we're like okay this this is this might be a little bit much so yeah um you know you you also know your kid, by the way, some kids take a lot more risks than other kids. Sure. You know, and that's why I'm always very careful because that parent also might've seen their kid do some wild stuff that makes them feel like, no, I don't want you anywhere near the edge on this hike, the edge of this uh, trail, because mm-hmm. I've seen you hang over railings and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So we gotta be careful about um, being judgmental there. But I would say that if you find yourself on that hike and you can't enjoy yourself at all, because you keep thinking about what's gonna happen if someone falls and hurt, you know, yeah. those are times when I think um, I would say, you know, uh, get help, get, get the help that you need. You know what I mean? Get, go tell someone, you know what? I'm really having trouble just in even taking joy in my life right now. Cause I'm so worried about what might happen. Um, what are some ways I can work through that? Mm-hmm. You know, cause I can sit here all day and say, well, if you've taken the reasonable precautions to keep everyone safe, then you should have no trouble enjoying yourself. And wouldn't that be nice for that? Simple? <laughs> but it <laughs> is such a simple way to put it though. That's so yeah, true. But, and, but there's so much to unpack with that. And mm-hmm. like you said, with hypervigilance, maybe you did see a lot of things go wrong. Maybe before you became a first responder, yeah. you lived a life that was very high stress yeah. and, and maybe everything, um, and your life was treated like it was an emergency. And so you right. you see everything as emergency. Those are things to unpack, preferably with someone who knows what they're doing, with a professional yeah, yeah. who can help you do it in a way that, that is productive and helpful. For sure. Um, and uh, I think therapy is incredible. I've used it. I recommend, I, my dream for therapy is that it becomes like just going to the dentist. Yeah. You just go just to just to check in and it's there for emergencies, but why not just go check in once or twice a year? Like, and I, I, I hope there's a day where you could just say to anyone, Oh yeah, I got a therapy appointment and it's no big, like no one even thinks twice about yeah. it. Like, cause you should, you should go to therapy. You know what I mean? It, I hope right. it becomes just very normal cause it's so beneficial. I think we're slowly getting there. Yeah. I think, I think so. it's definitely being talked about more. I think it's maybe more in circles where you feel comfortable with the other person mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe they went through it. It's like, Oh, Oh, you, you went through it too? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you can kind of yeah. have that conversation. You're under, not there yet. Yeah. I, and I don't, you don't need to, you, it's, it's your privacy is, is still a thing. You, yeah. you don't have to tell anyone. Um, it's totally up to you. It's your business. I'm not saying you have to tell people, but I'm, I'm willing to be one of the people that will admit that I have used therapy and do use therapy. And I think it's great Yeah. because you know, I don't want, if someone else, if somebody listens to this and hears that and goes like, okay, I'm going to go call the therapist. Great. Yeah. Great. I'll, I'll take that uh, little invasion of my privacy to say like, I, cause I, I believe in it. I think it works. Um, I've done, I found it. I've, I've been able to do it in a way that is totally in alignment with my faith and my beliefs mm-hmm. does not violate my, my, my moral compass in any way. And so it's worked out great for me, yeah. you know? And so I'll just leave it at that. I'm yeah. not here to diagnose anyone, yeah, yeah. but I definitely am here to encourage anyone who, who thinks that they might need help to just, yeah, there's resources. And if you don't like the first one, keep going oh, yeah. for the next one. Absolutely. I, I've heard horror stories from friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had friends go through multiple. Sure. And I still have friends that have gone through multiple. I still haven't found the right one. Mm-hmm. And it's just like any other profession or occupation. You're going to have those people that just aren't really cut out for yeah. it, but they've got the credentials, as you would say. And it's a relationship. It is a relationship. So yeah. a therapist that you love, your friend might 
not. Um, and that's totally normal too. It has to be a good fit. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, there's a, <clears throat> luckily we, we, we have options that, you know, there's, there's, um, there are therapists out there where you can, and they understand too, that, you know, it might not be a good fit and that you might go to someone else. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're fortunate to have that, to live in a place where, you know, there's quite a few therapists around, you know what I mean? It, and I would also say, um, for the folks that are trying to get help and have just been waiting a long time for whatever reason, you're trying to find out how, who your insurance covers and, and maybe you're on a couple waiting lists, hold on, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you've already taken the, the first step um, to admit to admitting you might need some help. Um, it's worth the wait. Yeah, It's worth the wait. Um, and uh, yeah, and the, your therapist is, just like I said earlier, your therapist is a person too. Yeah. They're finite. Right. They're, you know what I mean? They have their own limitations and their own. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to have the same sort of grace that every other human being needs. You know what I mean? Um, hopefully they're obviously a professional and, and skilled at what they do. Um, but like I said, there's there's other options. If it's the first one's not a home run, it's OK. Yeah. But if you feel like you've gotten to that point where you where you need it, then I would say continue pursuing it until you find the right fit. And I I do believe it's worth it. Yeah. Um. little bit of a turn sure in military circles i go back to this a lot and i think i first heard it from dave grossman's book on combat but i've heard it in other circles and research where it's military specifically they talk about mental health and ptsd or ptsi however you want mm -hmm. to uh, define it and whatever the number is and it was we'll say We'll just say it was an alarming number. I don't have the actual like physical numbers burned into my brain, but the thing I found really interesting was that the fraction of combat veterans. So let me back up. I'm, I'm butchering this right now. <laughs> there are combat veterans mm -hmm. experienced true combat. Is let's just say it's like one percent. Mm -hmm the people that have experienced PTSD might be 20%. Sure. So the people that are actually experiencing combat aren't necessarily the ones that are having the struggle. Sure. Yeah. And I think while I don't have the numbers necessarily for the fire service, it's kind of hard to piece that apart about like mm -hmm. what, because we define what well, was like combat differently for us. Um, I would like to think that there's probably some correlation there as well. Um, and from my reading and understanding, a lot of it comes back to, I guess we've talked about the loneliness or uh, the hypervigilance, or maybe there are some absolute mm -hmm. traumatic events. But then there's also the sense of purpose, the sense of mission, lack of connection. Mm-hmm. How do we flip the how do we flip the script on that so first and foremost uh a traumatic experience uh can happen to anybody anytime um we are focused on um incidents that go wrong that's the main thing we think of when we think in our industry of of post-traumatic stress right. and of course that absolutely happens but you know you could experience a traumatic event on your day off yeah so I think 
less focus on um, because I think it can kind of devolve into a conversation of like, do you have you earned that? Like, did do whatever you went through was mm-hmm. it was it? You know, other people went through that and they didn't have it. Yeah, it doesn't warrant. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, have you been through, and, and it can almost be like if you're around people that have, say, been, say you're around combat veterans, you're going to be, you're going to kind of shy away from talking about your traumatic experiences because <laughs> you're like, well, it doesn't amount to that. But the yeah. bottom line is it's what, 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 what PTSD is referring to is, is what it's done to the person. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as much a traumatic event has occurred as what's, and now this is what it's done to the person who went through it. It's not as much about the traumatic event itself. It's mm-hmm. what that event then precipitates in you physically and mentally and emotionally and yeah. I'll say spiritually as well. And so it's like, can we can we frame the conversation in a way that says, whatever happened to you, it's impacted you in mm-hmm. a way that has um, essentially, and again, we're having a lay conversation here, yeah, right? right? So right. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna stay in our depth, but you know, essentially the, the normal responses to a stressor have persisted beyond the actual stressor. You know what I mean? Your, your body is still in a mode that is responding to a, a traumatic event yeah. after the said event has concluded. You right. know what I mean? So there things that would be normal when the event is occurring are now occurring to you on a, on a Saturday morning while you're sitting on the couch. You're like, well, I, mm-hmm. I still feel that. It's like I'm there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so now what do I do? So I think that it would be more productive and more beneficial to tell people, um, just like we've done with um, with addictions, like, hey, these are the signs. Yeah. You know, these are these are some indications that you might be dealing with something a little more than just you need to decompress after a really stressful moment. Yeah. Um, whether it was an incident at work or whether something that happened to you at home on your yeah. drive home from work, you know, right. um, here's some, here's some indicators that maybe you might need some, well, a few more tools in the toolbox, mm-hmm. a few more coping skills, um, to deal with these, uh, lingering effects. Um, and those are always going to be best left to, uh, professionals, but there's also resources that can say, while I can't provide you like peer support teams where they say, well, we're not here to do therapy, but we can definitely say, Hey, that sounds like something you might want to talk to someone about. Can I get you a number? Can yeah. I get you a card? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, meaning a contact information for somebody. So, I mean, is that kind of drive of what you're talking about? Yeah. And I think um, also going back to what we said, there were two things that I've read to like really simplify the argument of like, if you're having some more acute things going mm-hmm. on where one is, and this comes from a very primal place is were you able to safely manage the alarm, whatever that right. was, whether it was the fire or mm-hmm. the the dying child, mm-hmm. or maybe it was a fight at home, were you, or maybe you had to run from danger, like active shooter, whatever, right. were you able to safely manage that alarm? Mm-hmm. If you didn't, that could be a traumatic response. And if you did, then step two is when you got to your safe environment, whether that be your home, the mm-hmm. firehouse, you're back with your group of trusted people. Did the alarm go away or did it stay in like alarm status? Yeah. Or do you not have a safe environment to go to? Or do you yeah. not have somebody back at home you can talk to? Do does Did you have the officer or a senior firefighter that been like, well, toughen up buttercup. Like <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah. And those were kind of the two things that have stuck out at me. If you put it very simply is, did you manage the alarm? 
And then when you were back when the alarm should have been shut off, was that an environment to deal with it? And usually it's one of those two things or both in tandem where that anxiety response sticks. Right. And as you said, you're sitting in a couch on a Saturday morning and it's bluebird skies outside and you're still have some inner turmoil going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's a great way to look. That's a very, um, fundamental way to look at it to say, yeah, you know, can you handle the situation in the moment and can you recognize when it's over? And so, um, and those are, yeah, those are two major red flags, you know, um, the, the first one is a little bit uh, more clear because the people around you are probably going to notice if you're not doing so well on the calls and in the moments. Um, but that's not guaranteed. Yeah. But there's there's a chance, but your shift doesn't go home with you. Yeah. So, and if you, if you, especially if you're living on your own or maybe you just don't spend a lot of time with other people for whatever reason, there might not be a lot of people around to notice that like, look like you're doing that great today. Like you said, it's a beautiful sunny day and you look pretty miserable, you know? Um, so being able to, and, th- and that's where there's a lot of, um, a lot of emerging trends of, of how to treat that and what to do about it. But I think our job is to recognize that, Hey, this is happening. Yeah. And and I think so for the people that don't have someone in their life to call that creating environments uh, in the firehouse that can kind of say, just checking in with you guys. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Um, could have been no significant incidents for months. You know what I mean? Right. But, but still like, hey, you know, just in case anyone is having trouble with anything, just want to remind you guys, like, I'm here if you need to talk. No shame. Uh, we have plenty of resources. If you got anything going on, just let us know. Just checking in with people. Because um, you just don't know. Because uh, there are some people that, I mean, I think it's, I don't, I'm pretty confident saying that there's people that, live their entire life in alarm mode yeah. and probably have since they were, and, and may have, I should say, since they were a kid. And, you know, they've just brought that with them into the fire service. Some of those people For are sure. really, really skilled at handling emergencies because they live in emergency mode. Some of those people, yeah. it's almost like manifested, they almost look calm, cool, and collected in the moment. Oh yeah. But little do we know they're going home and just totally unable to shut it off. <laughs> And it's wreaking havoc on their personal life. Yeah. I certainly fit the bill for that. Sure. I, that avoidance is a blessing on an incident scene. Right. Things are rapidly devolving. Right. Like I can totally manage the emotional stress because mm-hmm. I can check out and then see it objectively. But then when I go home and if I'm doing something with my kids, mm-hmm. you know, they don't need me to check out in that moment. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. I need you to hang yeah. out with me in this crazy situation. Yeah. It, it, it can, quite frankly, it can be infuriating. When, yeah. when the person you're looking to from doesn't just doesn't seem to appreciate the gravity of a situation. Um, and that takes us back to, you know, not feeling heard, not feeling seen yeah. and understood. And that sort of takes the stress from what's actually happening. Now we're adding another layer of like, oh, and by the way, the person who's supposed to be helping me with this, it just totally doesn't get it. <laughs> you yeah, know what right, I mean? Right. And now they think less of me because they think I'm freaking out about something small because they're going, well, it's not a fire. You know, it's not this, it's not that. So, yeah. And we spiral. It's just yeah. a spiral. You know what I mean? So being able to, to just recognize that and, and look, your your uh your your kid's problem might in the grand scheme of things might be a small problem, but for them right now it's huge because at their two world years is, old. Yeah. That could be the worst moment of their lives <laughs> at two years old. They don't have thirty years worth of data. Right? And they don't and they don't live out in that in that bubble outside of the bubble like you do. So yeah. um you almost have to kinda of like step into the bubble with them a little bit and say yeah. you're 
and be like, you're right. Like, this is, this is awful. I get it. You know? And again, if you commit yourself to it, I think it'll, it'll feel more and more genuine as you go. But yeah, the first couple of times it's going to feel like really cheesy and, (laughs) you know, something, um, God, I'm almost embarrassed to say this as a new father, I thought I was kind of being funny and also being like the good side of hard. Mm -hmm. If my kids were having a really tough time and they'd be like, melting down crying and i'd be like girl fix your face like you're fine (laughs) like that thing that you're doing like fix it yeah and i almost cringe thinking about that now and i remember talking to other fellow dads and these aren't like well i'm not gonna say that might sound silly these are like very these are still type a hard charging men Mm -hmm. who we got to talking about it and when you when they were like really letting their guard down they're like dude i'm telling you sometimes a hug for a two-year-old mm-hmm. is the best thing you can do because they only have two years worth of data yeah. and yeah. it is really tough and just to be able to sue them in that way like yeah. going back to the alarm's over and now you're a safe space mm-hmm. that's massive for a two-year-old now i'm not saying you go hug the 40-year-old senior driver yeah. <laughs> but you know how do you uh how do you create that environment like yeah man that that does suck um let's create some like safety and privacy around this so we can talk and manage it. Um, now pushing forward a little bit to get to the healthy, healthy side of struggle. So a saying I say is struggle is divine. Mm -hmm. Uh, in stoic times they would say, I might butcher this luctor et emergo, which is I struggle and emerge Mm -hmm. in the Bible. There are multiple stories about, endurance they use that word endurance and enduring through hard times yeah persevering perseverance yeah i mean you could just say a 30-year career is part of that but whether it's an acute incident or 30 years worth of data or it's in relationships or it's just maybe in personal hobbies whatever the case is what is the healthy side of struggle look like and why in your opinion is healthy struggle necessary yeah. So this is, this is where, uh, this is like the heart of chaplaincy is where, how do you answer questions that for you are faith questions <laughs> for people yeah. that, um, don't necessarily share your faith usually involves me just asking permission to say, this is going to be a faith-based answer. Are you comfortable with that? I've never had someone say no, yeah, but yeah. I always ask permission. So I, my faith is intrinsic to me. I cannot separate it from myself. So all that's just a disclaimer to say I can't answer this question okay. without. You know, <laughs> I appreciate that as a non-Christian yeah. because I am a, a Christian. Disclaimer. Yeah. But I would say that if you were to look at some general truths that I do think everyone could could agree with is that um, struggle um, it, uh, it it grows us. It develops us. You know, we, we grow and uh, we learn through pain and discomfort. We grow in pain and discomfort. Um, I always tell my son, uh, they call them growing pains for a reason. <laughs> it hurts. And yeah. if you have ever had a growth spurt, you know, it's achy and it's, it hurts to grow, literally. Mm. Um, you know, I remember my knees hurting when I would go through a growth spurt and things like that. So um, whether it's, it's strengthening us, whether it's... Um, whether it's showing us things we didn't know before, showing us things about ourselves, showing us things about other people that might be painful to realize. 
um, wisdom, you know, is, is hard earned. And so I like that. there's no, um, I personally, um, like, so from the, from like the believer standpoint, there is no meaningless struggle. There's no such thing as a meaningless struggle mm-hmm. because a Christian would say that, you know, God use, is using it basically essentially for your good. He's using it to prepare you for something greater because, um, for the Christian community, we, we're looking ahead to something that's coming where the, 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 the trials and tribulations and the pain around us is passing away. It's yeah. not permanent. So, um, that's where sort of where my faith is rooted in. But I think for anyone, I, I think we can all acknowledge that. And, and I, what I would say where healing really occurs is when you can look at something that happened to you, you can look at a traumatic event and you can, you can see, um, the full picture of what it's done to you. So you see the pain, you see the injury, you see the agony, but you also see the strength you developed as a result Mm -hmm. of it. You see those coping skills and mechanisms that you were able to develop, whether it's through help of, you know, friends, family, or, or a trained professional, you know, you're able to grow from it and you suddenly realize, man, as awful as that was, I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Yeah. And so, we kind of it's it's like a it's like an imperfect picture hanging on the wall of your house you know what i mean like you see some awkward brush strokes and some odd color choices but you leave it on the wall because it's like it's it's part of the room and so i say that very very gently because you know people have been through some painful painful horrendous things and i would never want to make light of that i only say it to as maybe a, a semblance of hope could emerge from it. Yeah. That that one day this this thing you went through um, will have been an, will, an impetus for good in some aspects in your life. Are you able? I was at first ask, going to ask, how do you? But are you able to, in the moment, zoom out during that struggle? And I. And sure, this is probably so dependent mm-hmm. and realize like, this is going to be okay. How do yeah. we do that? So, um, this will grow me. Yeah. So I think part of that comes with time when you experience it once or twice or three times, like when you've had a couple bad things happen and mm-hmm. then you've grown from them, you can start to. I feel like that's kind of like a, a benchmark of wisdom. When we yeah. look at people that we consider wise, those are the people that can zoom out and say, hang on there, tiger. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know you're ready to go to war, yeah. but there'll be other battles to fight. This is not a hill you need to die on, which is yeah, something yeah, one yeah. of my mentors used to say. Now I echo it to my family all the time. Like, is this a hill we need to die on? So yeah. um, I think some of it comes with time and experience. Um, for me, I need the constant reminder. And so that to me comes from, you know, I read I read the scripture and I read the Bible as much as, as I'm able to. Every I strive for every day because I need the daily reminder of everything I just said. Mm-hmm. That's a truth that has to be, I have to relearn that truth over and over and over again because I forget it over and over and over again yeah. because I still am a human. I'm still finite. So um, I'm by no means any kind of guru. So... Um, and I would also add that pursue mentors, pursue yes. wisdom, yeah. pursue people, the people in your life that have taken an interest in you and that, um, have been where you're, have been where you're going and have been where you are. 
keep close to those people. Tell yeah. them you love them and you appreciate them yeah. and please stay with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you teach me, teach me yeah. things, teach me more things. Um, it, it, it comes from, it comes from the outside. I think, I think if you think you're just going to go through life and just, you know, find your way through it, it's that's, that's, that's a long, long road. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. I would take advantage of the people that are around you that have been through it. Yeah. Um, yeah, not to cut you off. No, it, it takes work. And yeah, I've had this, this conversation about mentors here recently with a couple of my close friends where, um, I'm at a point in my career where I feel like it's harder to find my heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is the natural attrition of getting older. Mm-hmm. Some maybe literally pass away. Some, uh, no longer work in the department if mm-hmm. I'm looking for something within my department. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there's retirements or there's separation. And as you go higher up in an organization, you know, you are formally maybe one of those quote unquote mentors, whether you are or not. And I've used that line where like my heroes are gone mm-hmm. or they're leaving or they're dwindling. And sometimes it's not always about looking up. It's about looking alongside of you or even looking formally under you to someone who uh has that fire has that spark Mm -hmm. has that intelligence to still get it and like you said do the work to reach out to those people that you care about and invest about because there's no negative return on that yes it takes work it's the Mm -hmm. it's the craziest thing and i'm 100 percent guilty of how much work you think is involved to pick up the phone and talk to that person and create Mm -hmm. that time we are so good at talking ourselves out of that. Um, but it is weird. As you get older, the heroes leave sometimes. And it, so to yeah. find that it can be harder, but um, I, I, I value that. It is massively important. It doesn't matter how old you are or if you are the mentor for so many people or maybe you're the SME. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody still wants somebody to follow. Absolutely. And I think that... Um, <clears throat> That's why I, I try very hard to approach anytime like retired firefighters, yeah. regardless of what rank they retired at, when, when they show up to events, when they come to stuff, when they want to be part of the peer support team. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I go up and I shake the hand and I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for being here. Like for the folks that are on the sunset of their career and that are looking at, you know, what they're going to do next, I, I wish you all the best, but don't you dare think you're not needed. Yeah. Don't you dare think just because the fire department doesn't look like what it used to, that it doesn't desperately need your wisdom and your advice. Yeah. And even if you stay attached just through occasional phone calls, you know, find what way you can, you can stay attached to it. Um, but this isn't like, it's, 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 it's not a conveyor belt. You know what I yeah. mean? Where you're just off the belt now. Like, <laughs> like yeah. we, the, the, I will speak on behalf of the other young new officers in this industry. We desperately need the experienced um, people who have seen the finish line to come yeah. back and tell us about it. Yeah, because we're like a third of the way through the race and we don't see it. Yeah, you know, and we are, and you, you, you handed us the baton, and we're grateful for that. But it's like, don't just leave. <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> right? Don't just chuck the um, deuces on. Yeah, us. like. Uh, we need you. We, I would say, yeah. So if, if you're in a position to mentor people, um, 
and and whether you're a high schooler mentoring a middle schooler or you're uh, a 30-year a firefighter mentoring a recruit, I mean, it mentoring is mentoring. It's someone who's been there yeah. who can say, hey, let me show you some stuff. Let me, let me explain some things to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel this. You're going to experience that. That's okay. Yeah. You know, this will get better. This, this is going to be tough. Like, it's just a shared experience. And so I would say to an extent, um, yeah, go out. If you feel like your heroes are, are gone, you know what I mean? Um, reach out to them. And, uh, to, and to those heroes that maybe you left, <laughs> yeah, you know, come back. <laughs> give us a call. Give us a text. Yeah. Shoot us an email. Like, um, just, 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 you know, go to the event. Shake a couple hands. Yeah. I, I know you never met the that firefighter you're talking to but you know you're just you being around just shows them that uh it's a reminder that hey this is a full career that i'm embarking on you know what i mean and i want to you know i want to be in one piece at the end of this thing Mm -hmm. so um it's a team it's it's a team effort from both sides maybe we're speaking a little bit out of turn for this next one but let's go to like purpose and meaning we'll start with the retirees and bring it on back (laughs) um I hear so often, and it's common in military circles, whatever, if it's after four years or 20 years or 30 years, they depart. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was only good at being Mm -hmm. a a soldier Mm -hmm. or, you know, that sense of identity gets lost or changed. Yeah. And you see there, I know a lot of retirees and some I love dearly and they check out because like, I need that part of me to die now and Mm -hmm. I need to do this next thing. And at one point, the stat was retirees die seven years after retirement or something wow. like that. Um, wow. I think we've re- we're really bucking the trend because of health and safety and hiring younger people. Like, I think I don't think that's necessarily a thing anymore. That I think that's old data now. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure though. That was a thing at one point though. Yeah. Um, how do we find purpose in meeting? So now we we started with the struggle. Mm-hmm. We're creating a new scale with which to define struggle right Mm -hmm. so our zero to ten is now a very different zero to ten when we experience struggle in a healthy way and we persevere and endure and then how do we make that purposeful and meaning driven life and i'm just going to throw this up there i think it's kind of like this (laughs) this full circle moment thing of like i think a lot of it is service Mm -hmm. define it in whatever way you can whether that's within the fire service within relationships within um hobbies uh, I think service is a massive one, but the first five years of your career, it's super easy to know what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, maybe that becomes, Oh, now I'm an officer. This is my purpose. When you become a retiree or maybe you're at a slow firehouse, there are so many like little things that could yeah. affect what your purpose and meaning is in life. So whether that's within the fire service and public safety or that's in personal life, how do we how do we bring the focus back to that yeah i think first and foremost in a big picture way um if your identity is built around anything that can be taken from you just know that your identity can be taken from you mm, that's really powerful you can lose it yeah um that's one one of the drivers of of my being a, a faith-based individual is that my identity um has been wrapped up in temporal you things. got me on that one that was a good one you, that was that's yeah. not, it's so simple but it's so true and i and i say that 
in desperation yeah for the people if you're in and I, and I mean everything nothing's off limits here so if your identity is being a firefighter if it's being I'll even say if it's being a parent yeah whatever your identity is built on that's the foundation and if you lose the foundation you will lose you yeah and I don't want that for anyone I mean I don't mm. want I've seen it and it's agonizing to watch it must be agonizing mm. to feel um it's so funny you talk about heroes um i feel like when i was a little kid my heroes were like batman <laughs> and then in high school they became like firefighters and police officers and soldiers mm -hmm. and now all my heroes are middle-aged dudes that wear khakis and cry when they talk about jesus so um my heroes have changed and changed and changed yeah. and um i'm just here to tell you that yeah, what, whatever your identity is built on is, is what it will fall on. So what I would say is the, the job is a, it's a special privilege to carry that torch, to be a firefighter. Um, it's the best job in the world, and it's a distinct privilege to be able to go to work every day and say, what are we going to do today? We're going to help people. We're going to help whoever calls us. Um, and I would never want to denigrate that. <clears throat> but I would say that one way or another, you you won't be doing it forever. Yeah. And whether you get what what happened to me was an injury. Um, I suddenly realized, what am I if I'm not this? Yeah. And that was my wake up call. Like, oh, my mm -hmm. identity is wrapped up in being a firefighter. Yeah. That's my thing. That's my whole identity. And um, so I really had to self examine and go, okay, well, because then if this gets taken from me, then what am I going to start all over? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do yeah. I have an identity anymore? Sure. So, you know, I would say that, you know, take stock of your life, take stock of, of what matters to you, but just know that, you know, wherever you, wherever you plant yourself, if it's something that can be taken from you, that's, that's a, that's a, to me, that's a precarious place to be. Yeah. That's uh, building your house on sand, right. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of the rock. Um, that's really powerful. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I, and to give credit where it's due, that's something that I slowly started to learn in therapy. Like I'm not just a mm -hmm. father. I'm not just a firefighter. I'm not just a husband. I'm not just a coach or any one of these things. I have to learn who I am at my root mm -hmm. first. So then I can give from that place. Um, I think actually one of the books you recommended essentialism mm -hmm. kind of speaks on that. Yeah. Um, find out who you are and find out what truly is most essential in your life. And you can narrow the focus on yeah. your profession or hobby, or you can zoom out and talk about life. And um, the the one uh, therapist who I use individually, who's been, he's just like that wise old guy you just mm -hmm. want to talk to and listen to stories from. He's like just a sage, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he recommended a life-changing book for him. And it was Ralph Waldo Emerson's Self-Reliance. And we're talking about a crazy wired-haired dude from the... 1800s yeah. that was speaking on this about how to be comfortable in your own skin mm -hmm. and be true to that person first. Right. And if you've got to be one person one day and then realize 24 hours later, you got to be somebody different because that old version was wrong. That's okay. Don't get caught up in the machine. Don't get caught up in the what ifs or the social media. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Be, be comfortable in your own skin first. Yeah. And, and I think that, <sighs> when we what will ultimately happen is is 
if we have to be the big bad fireman, if that if that's going to be our identity, then everything becomes subservient to that. Yeah. And like everyone in your life is just along for the ride. Yeah. You're not your work. Yeah. Um, when God created everything, he, at the end of it, he rested. <laughs> not because he was tired. Mm-hmm. He didn't need a break. <laughs> Rest is good. Yeah. We, in our culture, and not just our culture, but specifically in our context, we equate ourselves, we assign our va- a value to ourselves based on our output. Yeah. And so, how good am I in my job? How good of a husband am I? How good of a father am I? I'm sure there's times you, you're feeling pressure to put out the best podcast you can. You know what I mean? Every It's it's addictive. It is totally addictive well, to I'm just- I'm my hardest critic. I'm super right? hard on myself. And so, you know, that unproductive self-talk starts to emerge because yep. you're just trying to crack the whip <laughs> and, you're, and you're trying to just drive at yeah. this thing you're trying to be. Um, when, when, when you realize that at the end of it, like the, whatever's going to live on is, is the impression you made in the people around you. Like we said, way at the beginning, it's, it's the relationships. Yeah. It's how you impact them. Um, I don't, you don't hear a lot of people, um, cataloging everything, every little mistake their parents made. You hear a lot about like whether they were there or not Yeah. <laughs> in the general yeah. sense and whether they made me feel loved and protected and safe or not. Not, he built me this big a tree house and he bought me this many <laughs> toys and he sent me yeah. to this camp and that school. Um, those things have kind of a weird way of shaking themselves out. But I would say that, you know, if, 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 I, if one day I could be a fly in the wall and hear my son saying like my dad was not a perfect dude. He was kind of a knucklehead sometimes, but he loved me like crazy. And I knew I could come to him with anything and I knew he'd be there. Like, I feel like that's a, that's might be about as good as you could ask for yeah. as hard as being a dad is. Yeah, I well, think yeah. that might be about as good as you can ask for. So, you know, you have to, if you think about life in those terms, you can start thinking, okay, who, who am I trying to be? And is yeah. this, this job, this work, this hobby, is it, is it a function of that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of essentialism. It's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, and it's great for that. of kind of like starting to trim the fat. That's a great, yeah. Super you know, good. and going like, I have this much of me to give who gets it. Yeah. What gets it? Right. I, uh, my wife and I both have tried to dig deeper into that. And I try to frame it as, um, like going back to service, like what things, that is how I maybe not so much my identity, but maybe a core value. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I want to be that father mm-hmm. figure. My identity is not so wrapped up in the fatherhood though. Same as right. being a husband. Um, I have to be true to myself and then I can give from that place. And I know that my wife and I are both, trying to like, like you said, trim the fat, mm-hmm. you know, what are the things that are really going to add to to life instead of taking things away? Because they're so easy to get wrapped up in the, we were getting caught up in the daily grind of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the sports and work yeah. and jobs and hobbies. And I feel like I should be doing this number of things on any given day. Mm-hmm. And then 
we started to reevaluate like those things don't matter. Yeah. You know, shared experiences is what matters mm-hmm. to us. Like being able to, and it's not necessarily rest, but I have a massive to-do list. Firefighters are great at that. Right. We have our to-do list and we add more things than we take off and we get value out of completion of tasks and, mm-hmm. and creating solutions for problems. And I was awesome at that. And I found value in that because I was able to care for all the people and for all the things. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted. Right. But I felt like I brought value because yeah. I checked things off the list. And then I realized like, we're going to look back on this. None of that shit matters. Yeah. Like when my, I'm going to try not to get choked up. Like when my daughter's like out front swinging on the tree and she's like, dad, come play with me. And I'm just like, you know, hey, five more minutes. I got to go finish yeah. this project. That doesn't fucking matter yeah. at all. Like connecting with the people that right. are, that truly matter to you. Um, yeah. I have this like project they need to finish at the house, but to go hang out with some of my closest friends from work mm-hmm. after some tough days and having just maybe a lunch with them, mm-hmm. like having that experience and going back to the people, like you said, um, when I started to put things and events and experiences through those lenses, it's really changed who I am. And I gotta be careful. Like sometimes I feel lazy because maybe I'll go spend two hours on the phone with somebody that I care about and not get to the things and not clean the bathrooms in right. the house. Right. Yeah. Um, but that makes it, yeah, like you said, yeah. when you rest your head on the pillow at night or you look back 80 years from mm-hmm. now, you invested in the things that mattered. Yeah. And, and it's a hard thing, too, because so you could sit here and say, well, if it was your last hour, who would you spend it with? And we all say our family and we would want that. But then you still got to pay the bills. Yeah. You still got to feed you still people. Have responsibilities. You still, right. Yeah. So. We, we almost don't want to trade one yoke for another <laughs> and say, well, now everything's compared to like, you. of course you're going to have to divvy yourself out a little bit. Yeah. These are just general guideline principles. Like, yeah. It's hey, balancing act. What, yeah, you're absolutely going to want some of this time back because it'll it'll never be enough when you when you're when your kids whether they move out or get married or whatever, you're always going to wish you had had more time. So we know that. So. Mm-hmm are we kind of like, are we remembering that on the day to day and going like, let me make sure I, I make some time, even though I know I still have to, you know, feed everybody and yeah. shelter everybody, put clothes on everybody's back. Right. I still may make sure I have some time left over. And some days are gonna, you're going to do better than others. Some weeks you're going to do better than others. Um, but it's, it's just that awareness. Um, yeah. and, and I think over time, you know, it shows, and, and quite frankly, your, your kids are smart. They know you're trying. Yeah. If that needs to be said right now, just like, you know, <laughs> if you're listening, forgive yourself. Like you, you're not going to hit a home run every time you yep. go to the plate. We know this. And in parenting, your batting average is low often. <laughs> it's just, it's so difficult. Yes. Every time you think you figure something out, it's it gets job. more complicated because then your kid, you figure out your kid and then they grow again and then they change again and then they develop more and you got to figure them out all over again. So I'm just saying that, you know, every you know ask any parent again find your mentors ask any parent of adult children yeah whose kid lives across the country now you know what i mean hey what would you have done differently they're probably going to say like i should have spent should have just gone on the camping trip should have just gone yeah. on the, okay yeah. so let's you can't go camping every weekend <laughs> but, <laughs> but let's make some time you know what i'm saying oh, yeah. like there's yeah. got to be like just 
be gentle with yourself you know yeah it's not if it's not easy yeah you know some people might make it look easy but i promise you if you you dig in with them they'll tell you it's not it's freaking hard it's hard so you know so you know take that breather take the breath use some of the leave take some time off you know what i mean Mm -hmm. budget it in and you know your kids will know and your wife will know they know when you're doing your rest they know when they're when you're doing everything you can to bring as much as you can to them. And they also know when you're throwing them scraps. Oh yeah. There's just, there's yep. n- there's no inside the walls here. There's no lies inside the walls of your house. Everyone knows what everyone's about, whether they admit it or not. Yep. So it's more about just making the effort. They will see the effort. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like being around the firehouse. You know, what do we tell the recruits, you know, make the effort, let us see the effort. Yeah. Let it speak for itself. You know? Yeah. It's true. Cause it's true. If it's true there, it's true here. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a great analogy. Another one that same sage I was telling you about was um, when I was being really hard on myself about messing up fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he's like, it, you're you're giving yourself way too much credit in, in that negative space. Yeah. He's like, just be the example, live the example, mm-hmm. and they're watching, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah. And so, like you said, just make the effort that's you're gonna be fine i think in every parenting book at some point they use the old cliche more is caught than taught yeah i like that you know so you know we we learn through observation it's just how we're wired so um you can talk to your blue in the face um but if you've ever given a kid a lecture we all know (laughs) they checked out like two sentences in and it's you're you're only on your first point (laughs) right Um, it's it's like it's like it's like death by powerpoint but it's all verbal you know and so you you know living it out which and that also means and and it's another thing i told people you know if, if they catch you messing up just make sure they catch you apologizing for it yeah Make sure they catch yep. you admitting that you messed up. Yes, that's huge. Um, to never apologize to your kids and then um, insist that they learn how to apologize to people later, mm-hmm. it just doesn't add up. It's not going to work. Yep. So if you messed up, own it. You know, it's one of the most powerful. I truly believe it is one of the most powerful things you can ever do inside your home as as the leader of your family is to apologize and admit that you screwed up. Yeah. Um, and we'll tie it back. You know, if you're an officer, you know, and you make a mistake, I think it's a hundred times easier in the long run to admit it yeah, and own oh, it yeah. than try to somehow fabricate this reality where it was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was not like that starting out. It's hard. Um, I thought that was a position of like weakness, mm-hmm. you know, and now, <laughs> like you said, caught and taught. Um, now doing that, one, it, it feels good and it's like, it's like a pressure relief valve going off. Oh yeah. Um, I know that they're also seeing that example of that, that side mm-hmm. of the healthy dynamic. Um, and it's huge. Yeah. Cause I didn't always have that in my relationships and that affected mm-hmm. my current and future relationships. Yeah. And yeah, so I appreciate you saying that, um, that that was massive for me and to see, have my kids see that or like you said, colleagues mm-hmm. at work, like, Ooh, taking ownership over yeah. that thing I messed up or didn't know or didn't yeah. articulate correctly. You know, I've apologized when I've had an off day. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, guys, I'm struggling a little bit today. And to create some understanding there has been huge instead of just trying to like shove it down and mm-hmm. project something differently. 
Because even if you're not outright lying and saying, I didn't do that, um, by not owning it, you're still withholding truth. Um, uh, and we all have parents and grandparents or someone in your life told you, hey, if you tell the truth, you got nothing to worry about, right? Yeah. If you lie, you have to create this alternate reality mm-hmm. where your lie seems like the truth. Yeah. And whether that's a lie you told or a truth you withheld, either way, you got to somehow rework the story into, well, here's why I did that or here's why I didn't do that instead of just being like, I should have done that. Yeah. My bad, guys. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I did this. It was wrong. I should have done that. Hey, we, we have not been training like we ought to the last couple shifts. Um, let's fix it today. You know, I mean, that's on me. I take full responsibility. Yep. It makes, when you, when, you, when you take the ownership, first thing, it shows, first thing, honesty. It, yeah. shows, it shows you're someone that's worthy of trust, but it also shows that we don't have to waste any more time playing the blame game. Yeah, it's we, very disarming. It's totally disarming because yeah. it's like, oh, well, well, I was all I was all excited to be defensive for the rest of the shift, but I guess <laughs> right, I, got, I wanted to fight with. But you. I guess since the LT uh, went ahead and took responsibility, I guess we'll just fix it then. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we'll just train. Let's just go train for an hour and move on with our lives. And it's the same way around your and all your relationships. You say hey, and and it doesn't mean you're taking responsibility for what other people have done. It, you're just saying hey, I'm here's my slice of the problem. I'm not, I'm owning it. Yeah. Now, if you're a leader, your slice is bigger than everyone else's. Spoiler, yeah. spoiler alert. Um, but. Ultimately, whatever the problem is, whatever relationship you're in, you know, hey, this is this is on me. You know, I'm, I'm acknowledging it. I'm, I'm identifying it. I'm not really worried about anything. Who else's fault it is? I'm just worried about how we fix it. You yeah. know what I mean? And that can just like that can really, um, it's like a shortcut. It, it, to fix it by changes you know what I mean? Yes, it is because a shortcut. It's a cheat code. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a not. cheat code, dude. It, and it's um, we can skip the trial. Yeah. We can we can skip the trial. We can skip yeah. the court case. We can just say, okay, wrong occurred. We're fixing it. We're good here. And then like you do it enough times, and all of a sudden it's a culture. Yes. And then like other people are starting to own their mistakes there because it's like, well, I'm safe to do that here. If the boss can own his, like, I'm, I can say I messed up. Yeah. He said he messed up. You know, you're you're creating a culture of humility, and when you have humility in a group, the sky is the limit. There is no limit. Yes. You know. Um, I feel like that's so many, it doesn't matter if it's an ancient text or if it's modern yeah. day, that is one of the traits that is 100% consistently, constantly harped on mm-hmm. is creating a culture of humility, yeah. whether it's in, internal within yourself as a person or it's in the family dynamic or within the team, mm-hmm. your organization, that is, that's got to be front and center. It's got to be, and it's going to be weird at first and it's going to, you might be an oddball. You might be like, what are yeah. you doing? You might have some people that are like you can't be you can't you can't admit that you'll you'll lose their respect. I don't. I just haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen no. it play out that way. No, that's a small mindset. You know, that's it's very short term. It's yep. very like, well, I won the moment, and I'll just disappear in my office for the rest of the yeah. time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where I'm a kitchen table guy, I yeah. avoid the office like the plague. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Right, I want right. to be I want to be you know hamming it up with my crew. So it's like, uh, how do we how do we make this better so we can all just go back to enjoying the firehouse together? Sure. So yeah, it, it it takes time, but it, it you know it will it mm-hmm. will catch on. It will catch on. Yeah. Uh, revisiting something you mentioned just a, a minute ago was, um, you know, if a kid messes up, you want them to like run to you or mm-hmm. apologize. And we've had this conversation, so I'll, I'll set this up for you. Um, religion is, this is a saying I've heard, you know, religion is shit. I messed up. Mm. I hope my dad doesn't find out. Right. Whereas spiritualism may be, 
um, man, I messed up. I need to go find my dad or my parents. You can insert you know, right. whatever. And to go another layer, um, I'm about halfway through Rain Wilson's book, Soul Boom. Mm-hmm. Rain Wilson being Dwight Schrute from The Office. Love him. Love him. So <laughs> most people know him as Dwight, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get him out of that role, he's uh, incredibly, yes, humorous, witty, intelligent, um, mm-hmm. but very cerebral, very spiritual. Um, and he talks about all face and he's very inclusive, but he talks about how the grow, the fastest growing um, section of, you know, mm. we'll say a singular deity or whatever is spiritualism. It's mm-hmm. not the religious aspect. It is, you know, it's not necessarily the brick and mortar. Right. It is how do you find the divine in every day? And um, when so many people are losing or maybe disregarding or not being interested in your formal faith-based practices. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some semblance there. Um, I'm just gonna let you speak on that because I know this is kind of like your specialty. One, how do you talk with somebody who may fit that bill within our profession? Um, how do you define it? How do you manage it? Because right. I know you kind of maybe go the other way. Yeah. Uh, not to assume too much, but. Uh, here's my toss up to you because <laughs> I know you've got tons of opinions yeah. on this, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's kind of like pulling the pin out of the hand grenade and then handing it to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, look, this is, this is like the bread and butter of chaplaincy is navigating this space. Yeah. Um, so for one thing, I would say that when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, so as as a as a Bible believing Christian, obviously I I it's an exclusive religion. I mean, it's it's um, you know, Jesus said I am the way. You know, so that is what I believe, and I, I know I know that not everyone else believes that. So if people ask me a faith based question, if they say, well, if, what if I just I think I just need to become more spiritual, will that help me? Well, that kind of puts me in a bind because. That is not what I personally believe. That it's not just simply a matter of being spiritual. That oh. that it's a matter of it is a relationship with your Creator. Um, that is that is forged through a relationship with with uh, for Christians. It's Jesus Christ. So, um, I, I respect other people's um, right to believe as they see fit. You know, I, I, I secure. I would work to secure the rights of others. Um, just like I would want them to secure my rights if they were my chaplain and they weren't a Christian because yeah. not all, all chaplains reflect. are Christians. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but more to the heart of your question, um, I think there is a, a gnawing truth in the heart of every human being that there's more than what we see. Yeah. And that, yeah. and coupled with that is this inherent desire to transcend what we see and what we feel in this in the in the suffering some 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 yeah, belief systems explanation almost and and to transcend what's around us so to me there are those are inherent truths um because you know the bible accounts for all those truths you know what i mean like yeah there is more than what you see yeah. there is there is more to this life than just paying bills and dying you know what i mean and so um, I that makes perfect sense to me that anyone would come to the conclusion that I think there's there's got to be more than this. Um, what I would say is that 
um, I think spirituality is, it's so divisive and it's such a tricky subject that um, we want to sort of sterilize when we have the conversations about mental health and try to make it very clinical and scientific. But I think ultimately that most people have a spiritual side. What I would say is what we're seeing emerging now is a group that's called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Yes, yes. The nuns. Heard, yeah, I think you just, spoke on this. Yeah. You were just kind of like, eh, I don't really, maybe, who knows, but I don't really, no, I'm not religious. Uh, I'm a little spiritual sometimes, maybe, maybe not, depends on the day. It's yeah. like, they're just kind of like, they're not worried about it. Um, and so like, that's kind of the, the new context where that's emerging. I think it's, that's like the fastest growing, uh, quote yeah. unquote religion is yeah. the, the, the nuns. The, um, the Pew research poll on the religious landscape, you know, it, it's very enlightening. And so, um, you know, for me, obviously as a, as a, I guess what I would first say is, is and what we've talked about this before is you can tell me you're any religion you want or spiritual. You want they're all just words i want to know what you believe what you actually believe um not just what you were raised doing and not just what your parents do but like what do you actually believe because i've met many people that have claimed to be of a certain faith and then you they talk more about what they actually believe and it's totally contradictory defies you you know what i mean so um just because you say you know i'll say as a christian i'll use us as an example as a I'll use Christians as an example. If you say you're a Christian, that just, I'm okay, you claim to be Christian. Okay, now I'll believe you. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not, I don't go around thinking everyone's lying to me, but (laughs) ultimately we're gonna have to peel the layers back a little bit and see what what do you mean Christian? Do you mean this? Do you mean that? Do you mean, because a lot of people you find out it's very works-based and that, well, I do this, this, and this, and that makes me a Christian. Well, the heart of Christianity is not in works. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So um, that's just one example of, you know, it, to me, it's much more productive and profitable to really get in, dig in with the individual and say, what do you actually mean by what you believe? And then we go from there. And if, and if you're going down the sort of the spiritualism route, then I'm, I can't force you to, I'm not, I'm not here to force anyone into my belief system. But, um, what I would say is that there are, um, we all will all have to deal with our spirituality one way or another because we're I, we have spirits we have souls you know mm-hmm. what i mean we're more than just physical flesh so yeah. um yeah it's 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 something that um is fascinating to me i i keep it very much on a um i try to have conversations with people and where they get to tell me what they think and what they believe i try not to apply labels i apply yeah. not to I try not to make assumptions on really on anything ever because you just never know what's going on in someone's For heart. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, so um, the way that's the way I approach it is is it would be more like let's sit down and talk and like you know if if they were like hey I'm having if they were saying I, I want some assistance with my spirituality however they want to phrase it it'd be like well well tell me about it what do you mean spirituality yeah. you know what do you mean and if they're going down a road that I, that I'm not on, then it's a matter of them finding someone who is on that road. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. it's, it gets tricky. It's, it's, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, because I'm not gonna, I, I'm obviously not gonna, um, nor am I expected to compromise my own belief system. You know what sure. I mean? You can, uh, in the, in the chaplain world, they say you, you facilitate, but you don't participate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So in the jails, right, they make sure there is a service for each religion and denomination. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean they're participating in them. It just right. means that they're creating a space for those practitioners of that faith to have their space to do that. Yeah. 
And so that's really like the bread and butter of what a chaplain's going to do. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, I've never had someone say, I don't want keep your faith out of it. I don't want to talk about your faith. They've always been like, sure. I'm like, well, this is, you know, I can tell you what I believe about that. Yeah. And they'll say, yeah, sure. Lay it on me. And then we have a good conversation yeah. and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes they're like, ah, I'm not into that at all. I'm like, Hey, that's what, you know, I'm not here to force you. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, but typically it's a lot more a matter of, you know, listening yeah. and having a quality conversation and making sure they're, they're heard and understood. And, um, I feel like you can, there's still opportunities to, um, and the, and the Bible's full of examples, but there's ways you can care for people that don't believe the way you believe. Yeah. You can provide compassion and relief and, you know, um, food, water, shelter. I mean, there's all these, you know, th ways you can yeah. care for oh, yeah. people, um, without them having to, you know, join your faith, <laughs> your yeah, religion. Sure. So, yeah. You know, I joke, I, I appreciate you saying all those things. It comes back to inclusivity. I feel like, um, within the Christian faith, just mm -hmm. speaking from that point of view, there can be so much infighting, right? Oh yeah. The Baptist versus the Catholics. Oh or, yeah. Uh, I think in the book, Soul Boom, they were, he was talking about how one of the most holy sites in Israel, you know, multiple uh, religions use that and they have like, you know, we'll say like at 90 minutes mm -hmm. for each. And if there's any crossover, if they feel like they're just basically like they're disrespecting their time or something, you'll have heads of churches literally fist fighting mm -hmm. at times. And it's just crazy whether it's within your own religion or mm -hmm. external and much more going on how what is supposed to be, you know, uh, a guide, a mm -hmm. compass, um, a way of life, a belief system, love. Right. We can get so wrapped up in such bullshit. Right. <laughs> but when you bring it back to meeting basic needs, being inclusive, not overly projecting anything, but just being that we'll go. It's as simple as just being a good human being. You're opening the door for so much more, no matter what the belief system may be. Yeah. And I don't mean to water, no, no. water anything down that you're saying. And because it can be so easily watered down. I would say that like, like if I'm, if I'm looking at the way <clears throat> Jesus lived and the way he treated people, knowing that he was surrounded by people that would one day be, um, you know, cursing his name and, and cheering as he was crucified. I mean, he knew that not everyone he encountered was going to become one of his followers. Yeah. Um, and he still um, was this incredible picture of kindness and compassion and yeah. love. And so um, to oversimplify it would be to say to just to try to live as he lived, knowing that some of these people one day might be crucifying you. Oh yeah. But knowing that in yeah. the moment that, you know, you were given, you were, you're a person was put in front of you, you had the opportunity to, to, to serve them or to provide them with some sort of comfort or care yeah. and you did it. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the, some of the harshest critics of Christians are other Christians, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure, I'm sure every faith deals with oh, that yeah, for sure. um, because there are so many little things uh, to deal with. I will, I will say one thing I find myself saying a lot, which I ripped off of a, of a pastor who I like to listen to, but it's, you know, the, the, when it comes to the Bible, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And so yeah. there are core, it doesn't mean the little things don't matter. It doesn't mean yeah. they're trivial. It just means that there are core foundational beliefs that we sort of are anchored in. 
Um, and then, yeah, there's going to be times where a disagreement might be so intense that it might be like, hey, you know, you're my brother in Christ, uh, but but this is so intense and so distracting that, you know, maybe we will worship in separate spaces for now and, and I'll see you in heaven one day. You know what I mean? <laughs> and again, we're oversimplifying here, yeah. but I just mean that um, I, I do think that you're always going to have the greatest chance to impact people through you know through kindness and through humility yeah. and just and and those were all that was laid out it's laid out very beautifully um in in the biblical text and i think um more to the point of what you're getting at is that truth is truth mm. you know if it's if it's true it's true all the time so you know we can all acknowledge that like you know it's being kind to others you know caring for others all these sort of things have a tendency to make life better. Right, <laughs> to make right. the, they tend to be better than the the opposite. But we also know that human beings have a tendency to not do them. Right. That, that we have we have sort of there's something in our nature that causes us to not gravitate towards compassion and kindness all the time. There's sort of, there seems to be something war and and um, discord seem to be more normative mm -hmm. than peace. Yeah. Yeah. And so there seems to be something going on with us that makes it awful difficult for us to get along. There's turmoil. Right. Yeah. And that seems to be the more normal than than peace. So um every faith has their own way of addressing that. Um but I do think that uh I think that a lot of the spiritualism we see is is people going sort of acknowledging these truths that, you know, that a Christian would say God authored that truth and it's true because he says it's true, but ultimately they're going like, okay, there's, there's more going on than what I see. There's more to the situation than, than, than seems obvious. Um, it could be as simple as like, how do we get here? It seems, it seems like couldn't be an accident that we're all here, you know, like whatever those little things that start popping in people's minds, take them down that road. Yeah. Um, and so that I understand that that road for the seven billion people on earth that road probably yeah, looks yeah. seven billion different ways but um yeah i think a lot of it is 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 there's an opportunity for conversations there that um i just i just trust that you know the people who are going to who are going to um find the truth are, are gonna are gonna find it yeah um, so yeah, so that's, you know, without go turning this into like a Bible study, I would say that this is like, you know, it, again, this is, this is where, this is where chaplains live. They live in a pluralistic environment yeah. where everyone believes something different. And so they're trying their best to represent their faith well amongst other faiths, other faiths and conflicting ideologies. So, um, yeah, it is very, very difficult to have spiritual conversations, um, with people that you can't see and that you're not actually talking to, meaning like the audience of a podcast, you know what I mean? Yeah, because right. everyone's coming from such a different perspective. But that to me is like my broadest brush I can paint it with, you know sure. what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, two things, and again, not to water down anybody else, um, I think when you look at a lot of the major religions and even smaller subsets, a lot of the, the peaceful side of the messaging are all incredibly similar. And so, um, if for nothing else, you can find common ground and you can find that connection. And like you said, truth is truth. Mm -hmm. And going back to our earlier uh, dialogue, when you're stripped of all the things, mm -hmm. who, who you are as a person and as an individual and where you seek your shelter and independence, 
let that define you in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Even when you're, like you said, being metaphorically crucified, you can still sure. be at peace yeah. knowing that you stood your ground and were true mm-hmm. to yourself in a healthy way. Yeah, because uh, when when Jesus was crucified, he was praying for the people that were crucifying him. And he was yeah. asking for them to be forgiven. And so, I mean, that's a radical idea. It's a radical idea. <laughs> to, to be actively praying um, praying for the people who are harming you and, and to be um, want almost you know, wanting the best for the people, even if, if, if they've hurt you. It's hard to do as a human. Yeah, it's very hard. And so... Um, Someone, someone might suggest you need a little bit of divine intervention to get there, but <laughs> like I said, we're not going to do a Bible study. But I would right. say that, yeah, I, I would say that there, the common ground, the, the the areas where the conversations can occur, where people can authentically represent their faith and say, "Look, this this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it." Mm-hmm. You know, I I trust that I'll be put in the places where I need to be for those conversations, and that you know I'll be helped. Uh, I'll be helped to have them. In those moments, um, I don't think, I certainly don't see myself as someone who's meant to be like on TV converting the masses. (laughs) I see myself as someone who's on a certain path, who's got people that are, I'm going to encounter, you know, along that road. And I'm not going to be on the next Joel Austin commercial. (sighs) We're not going to do a Bible study. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no comment. No. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I really feel like, um, and sort of almost coming full circle, it's like, I feel like there are people in your orbit that yeah. you are in a position to help. Yeah. And it will be, it's always tempting to go big and try to want to help yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, there's probably some really mundane, normal opportunities to just make life like a little bit better yeah. for the people around you. And sometimes that little small mundane mm-hmm. thing can mean um, worlds of difference. Yeah. As well, yeah. I come yeah. from a faith where the the the, the God of my belief uh, does His best work. Um, to quote someone else, does, does His best work with a remnant, yeah. with small groups, small bands, ragtag bunches of people. Yeah. Um, there's no glamour. No. There's no glamour in, in in the authentic Christian faith. It's it's you know. So I'm not here to be glorified. I'm not here to be glamorized. I'm not here. To, I'm not the hero of, of my story even a little bit yeah i like that and one thing that really hurts my ego really really bad is like it would honestly be better for my kids to watch me stumbling down the road yeah towards my creator than than killing it and looking good and being hollow inside yeah it would do them tremendous harm to see me be successful and self-reliant and as if, hey, I'm a man. I'm a man on an island. I did it all myself, and I got where I am because of all my work and everything I did. No matter what anyone said, like, because you and I both know, when you're laying in bed at night and you're looking at the ceiling, you don't feel that way by yourself. No. Nope. That's, and I, that's and I usually promise you, we're the hardest <laughs> on ourselves. That rumination. You know what can I mean? Be crippling. So the worst thing I could do for my kids would be to make myself the hero of the story the best thing I could do for them would be to point them to something greater. Even if that means I look like a fool in the process, yeah. they have to see, they have to see my limits. They have to, they have to see how finite I am. Yeah. There's just no other way. Otherwise I've, I've given them a lie. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's like the uh, that's like a more real hero story, a real mm-hmm. hero journey, going back to the struggle of mm-hmm. making it who you are. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Switching gears a little bit again, where do you want to see the fire service go when it comes to mental health stuff? And like one of the things we've nerded out on is just bring dogs back to the firehouse. I know. Please. I know. I've tried. <laughs> and other people have tried to yeah. even more so than me. Um, uh-huh. And I, so, so there's a, there's a couple, um, there's a, there's a couple pieces to the puzzle that you need. I think number one is as much quality, consistent training as possible to make us as good as our good at our jobs as possible to make us feel confident about what we do and increase the number of favorable outcomes on calls Mm -hmm. that will build us up so that dedication to learning and getting better together each and every one of us from the recruit to the chief and then parallel coupled to that intrinsically linked to it so not parallel like intertwined with that is that culture of humility and that not just ability, but desire to share mm-hmm. wins, losses, mistakes, great decisions, best practices. Like, hey, I tried this. I look like a fool. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, to be able to do that. And then outside of that, as many resources as possible in terms of mental health, because it's going to look different for everybody. Some people will yeah. thrive with just a little bit of peer support. Um, much like a May Day, you're most likely to be helped by the firefighters that are closest to you. Yeah. The idea that the RIT team comes in and grabs you, they're there for a reason, we'll send them, but the chances are you will probably be located by someone who is just working in your area. And so to not let things like peer support teams or SISM teams or whatever you're naming them become sort of gatekeepers of resources and mental health in the fire service, but to make it so normative and so so normal that you can just look to the person sitting next to you at the kitchen table and be like, I gotta talk to you. Yeah. And you're not a burden and you're not dragging them down and you're not holding anyone back. You're actually showing how committed you are to making your shift better by saying, I'm not as healthy as I could be and I need a little help. Can you give me that number again? Can you, can, you, can you show me that place on the website where I can call and uh, can you show me where to look up in our insurance, who, who uh, our insurance covers for mental health professionals? Like that sort of spirit of honesty. Um, and, and then it's, met, it's not met with, oh man, what's wrong with him? It's met with like, nice, good job, dude. Yeah. Good, good for you. Glad you're doing that. Um, you know, let me, maybe not, <laughs> let me know how it goes. It's, it's so personal, <laughs> but like, let me know if you need anything. Just follow through. Yeah, follow, follow up, through. show that you're yeah. invested in the person. Yeah, I think it's really powerful to say, hey, you don't have to tell me anything. Just, is everything okay? Like, yeah. is, is it going all yeah. right for you? Are you are you hitting any roadblocks that I can help you with? No, I'm good, I'm fine. Great. Awesome. Great. And um, one thing I asked my therapist, I said, well, what, what happens if you're worried that you're gonna cause a problem by prying or asking if someone's okay? What if, what if you're worried about opening up a can of worms or what mm-hmm. if it's gonna somehow be the straw that broke the camel's back? by bringing it up and she just very flatly told me it, it would be better to bother someone a little bit to annoy them yeah. <clears throat> and be like dude i'm fine i told you i'm fine it would be better to get that <laughs> response yeah 
then have to walk around for the rest of your career going, I had no idea. Yes. I had no idea he was struggling. I had no yeah. idea she was having problems like that. Yeah. I would much rather say, I sent one annoying text message <laughs> saying, you good? <laughs> With a yeah. question mark. Then have to spend the rest of my life being like, what did I miss? Yeah. So reaching out is reaching out. The more you yeah. do it, the more authentic it'll come, yeah. the more real it'll feel, the more normal it'll become. And so that's kind of my vision is that, um, is that, is that we just, we, we seek the best for each other and take care of each other in that way. And, um, and we protect each other the way we would protect Mrs. Smith if we were going to her house. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, and I think, honestly, I think it's attainable. I, I think I the do. conversation on mental health has changed so much and the, the stigma is dropping off so rapidly that we're in a position where this is something we can we can do. We can do this. Yeah. In, in this generation of firefighters. Um, I don't think it's a massive heavy lift either. Mm -mm. I, I really don't. I th the, the tide's already turning. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the soft, frou-frou, burn candles mm -hmm. thing. Like, no. It's... Um, it's really just about being a good person and, and investing and caring about the people around you. It, so one rule I, I call it in my head, I call it the junkyard rule. And uh, if something is ultimately going to end up in a junkyard, I kind of drop it into its proper priority list. So mm -hmm. the cars, the houses, the stuff, right? Yeah. And then maybe even the next level is like a, a thing that I'm not necessarily going to be doing forever, right? Um, things that are temporal things that aren't going to last forever i kind of like that's how i base my investments so if i believe that within each person is an eternal soul that's going to go on forever and that's pretty much the only thing around me that's going to last for everything else around me will fade away mm -hmm. the houses will be replaced be rebuilt be knocked over you know um the cars rust the, the money will turn into digital currency and whatever else. And like, and everything around us is shifting and, and faster than ever. That's oh, yeah. causing a lot of this anxiety that we're feeling in our sure. society. It's, it's just the rate of change we've, is unprecedented. Yeah. So if you had your option, if you had your choice to, to invest yourself into something that was ultimately headed to dust or something that was going to go on forever, to me, it seems logical to invest your thing, invest yourself in the eternal. The everlasting. So the only thing around you that's eternal, is, in that sense, then is the people. Right. It's the people around you. Yeah. It, that's that's a that person sitting next to you at the firehouse table is a soul that's gonna mm -hmm. go on. So, what better place to put your time and energy? What better route to go down? Uh, than the person next to you. So if that then becomes our compass, if that becomes our North Star, you know, taking care of people, and then everything else starts to coalesce around this, well, this happens to be the best way to take care of people. I think it's about, as, like I said earlier, I think it's about as good as you're gonna get. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's about where it's at. So um, easier said than done. For sure. Definitely hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but it makes it worth it. But worth it. Yeah. And if everyone's doing it, then on my bad day, I'll, I'll cash in on your good day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can kind of limp me along while I'm trying to get myself together. And yeah. then the next time you're having a bad day, I'll be there to encourage you. You know what yeah. I mean? And again, this is all firefighter level. 
Yep. We can address this right out. We don't have to ask permission. There's no forms. There's yeah. no proposal. You can go into your firehouse tomorrow mm-hmm. and start making people's lives better. Yeah. Which is an insane amount of power you have as an individual if you really sure. think about it. You, well, I mean, we've started and nearly ended this podcast with people, mm-hmm. you know, full circle. And I would also encourage people, you know, I'm in my late thirties now. Mm-hmm. And these are things that I have, you know, come into, we'll say now. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that maybe in generations before me where it's like, you think this is a thing that happens when you become old and wise and it doesn't have to be that way. Like going back to believing in yourself and having the confidence to talk to that person. And I think so many people think it's like this soft frou-frou thing and it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And just have the confidence and the knowledge and the care and the trust and the benevolence mm-hmm. to have these connections with the people and invest in them. And the sooner the better. Yeah. Um, don't waste time on it because it is so worth it. It is worth it. Um, <clears throat> we're never guaranteed a certain amount of time we're never guaranteed another day or another minute so i mean that's that's i mean you said it perfectly you take take the leap be vulnerable um make the like i said make the investment take the risk of investing in the people around you um I, i think i think in the long run when you look back you'll you'll be um you'll be amazed at the return yes is there anything oh we covered so much ground (laughs) and i know some things we got in the weeds on and some things can be easily glossed over i mean this is a topic that uh, i mean has novels and volumes to it right yeah um is there anything that we missed that you know you feel like you want to harp on you know i would say um I would say that I just, I, I see in the fire service, we really fixate on generations and, mm-hmm. um, you know, senior versus junior versus recruit yeah. training, you know, it, it's a rank structure. It's, it's going to happen naturally. Um, I would say that <laughs> this is like my, 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 my chaplain statement to the, to the industry would just be that for the really senior firefighters, your wisdom and your experience and your ability to encourage and bring people alongside you is irreplaceable. There's no mm-hmm. training that can ever compensate for that. So if you have that to bring to the table, like if you are doing it, we appreciate you. If you're wondering if the new generation will appreciate it or will, will understand it, take the risk, yeah. take the risk. Yeah. And to the junior firefighters and the younger generations who take a pretty good beating, being, you know, we hear a lot of talk about millennials and things like that. <laughs> I would say, just like every other generation before them, they're, they're unique and they have their own, um, they have their own uh, quirks, just like all the other generations. But, sure, yeah. but, they, time. but you're, you still have so much to offer. Yeah. And there are so many skills and experiences that you can bring and, um, and, and perspectives that you can bring that also have value. And so while you'll, it'll take time to earn your place to bring those perspectives in their truest light, just 
keep coming to work, keep showing the effort, mm-hmm. keep, you know, giving it your all and know that like there is value for you to bring right from, right from the get go. Yeah. And so I would say that like each, every member of the service, you know, you're needed, you're loved, you're appreciated. Um, and, uh, keep whatever it is you have, it's, you've got things that the fire service needs. So just keep bringing it every time you come to work and just be encouraged that, um, you know, you are making a difference. Yeah. Um, the, even the simplest calls, you have these cool opportunities to impact people's lives. Mm -hmm. And then even in the firehouse, you have more opportunities to impact people's lives. So, you know, I just, I guess that's just kind of like my note of encouragement. You know what I mean? Whatever you have to bring, keep bringing it. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And I'll close with this. Um, you spent eight and a half years at your SO house, Mm -hmm. right? And, um, our department went through our line of duty and mm-hmm. our maydays and some really rough stuff. And like I said, I've said this before, we're a well-kept secret. We we're not known for having crazy volume or crazy calls, but we, we have our fair share of really rough things happen mm-hmm. to people and property and we deal with them. Um, and on the heels of that for us, you had an opportunity to come to our shift as a firefighter mm-hmm. and the resounding message was absolutely we need we need nate martin here on, mm. on our shift and um uh you came into the fold and it was a it was a really neat um necessary and fruitful addition to the family and you were part of that and i have one of my most vivid, vivid memories of you was I think we came back from a late night call and somebody on our shift was having personal struggles mm-hmm. and it's like midnight, maybe 2 a.m. and around the kitchen table. Um, as honest and as genuine as you could be sitting at that table taking care of that person. And so, and I just remember that like you could have very easily gone to bed. You could have very easily have um you know said another time but you practice what you preach and you're a genuine person and you added a tremendous amount of um love and guidance to the shift as somebody who hadn't been a longtime member of that shift like you came in like just running at full speed and absolutely made us better yeah, we we had a really high functioning, trustworthy, loving, high skilled. Like we, we had a really great thing going. I was and nervous coming there. <laughs> I was nervous. Yeah. Trust. Well, you you made it better. Uh, you made all of us better. And you practice what you preach. And now you are a lieutenant at another place. And I know you're still doing good things. So I just say all that to say I appreciate you coming on here, and I appreciate doing what you have always done and continue to do. So thank you. It's all love, brother. Um, I, it, like I told you when I first got here, it is a very distinct privilege um, just to be in, in, the, in the same room as, as people like you and, and people like the shift that we were on together. Um, it's just very humbling on a regular basis. And the fact that I even have the opportunity to pour into people like you guys, it's... Um, there's just no way to put it in words, so I'm not going to try. I just, I'm thankful. Yeah. And I'm thankful oh, for you. Place. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> love you, bro. Well, that's as good a place as any to stop. Thanks, man.